Welcome back to the choir room as we continue on in season five to some of the more ridiculous parts of the season. Very excited to get into it today. We have a special guest with us and I cannot wait to uh, hear all of the things that this man has to say about the episode. But before we introduce him, of course, let me welcome in Aman. Aman, how's it going today? The sun is shining, it's a lovely day, a perfect morning for a kid to play, but you've got lots of bills to pay. This was the missed opportunity for any kind of Avenue Q song in this episode, and I just can't wait to nag everyone about it this entire time that we talk about it. I'm great. Well... Let me welcome in our guest, and then you can tell me who Avenue Q is, all right? Who? Oh, God. Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) I love to make you mad. Um, Let me welcome in our guest. You've heard him before here, back in season one, season three, and now it's time to get his thoughts on some of these new schoolers in uh, in Ohio, in the Glee world, and obviously all all things puppet-related. Mike Bloom, welcome back to the choir room. I love that this ended up being, you know, I guess me on the odds in a manner of speaking that we started with the season one finale, which was, you know, pretty epic and grounded and capped off a very good season of the show. Then I came back for Big Brother, uh, the season three episode, which is like, okay, it's a little weird that Blaine has this brother that was never mentioned before played by Matt Bomer, but like suspension of disbelief. And now we have descended into full madness. But I am mm-hmm. here for the ride. I am here. I've mentioned it many, many times that the one of the moments from Glee that sticks out to me in perpetuity was them singing What Does the Fox Say with the Puppets. And I, yeah, I agree with them on. It's sad that they had to, you know, shoehorn in some Ilvis uh, instead of putting in some very pertinent songs from Avenue Q. Maybe they felt it was surprisingly adult, despite the fact that Glee is a show that sometimes likes to be adult and sometimes likes to just go completely off the wall with loony, almost childish situations. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I just feel like there are there was just certain... I mean, Avenue Q covers everything, right? Like, there was something in there that could have just been added, but fine, fine, whatever. Well, yeah, Mike. Obviously, you are you're the, you're the guy that I think everybody calls up these days for the most silly, ridiculous podcast ideas, which uh, lines up with this being the most silly, ridiculous episode of the show uh, by far to this point. I mean, we've had some uh, some silly things happening, some different themed episodes, but like all the kids turning into puppets for almost the entire episode. I mean, I think this takes the cake. So I'm glad that you uh, called your shot on this episode back, well, whether it was the first time or second time. I'm glad that we uh, ended up here. Yeah. And- And the interesting thing is that, you know, like you said, there have been fantasy episodes beforehand, right? The first Britney episode was memorably that the nitrous from John Stamos's dentist would prompt the fantasies. Even like the weird episode in season three where everyone switched personalities for like Mm -hmm. 10 minutes of the episode, but they advertise it to be the entire episode for some reason. That still had like a through line to it. We get like, I would say three main fantasies. But then outside of that, there are some fantasies that are not gas-induced. We have some that still may be gas-induced after the fact. There is so much blurring between reality and fiction here. It is honestly 
astounding to watch. It is truly trippy in a way that David Lynch could only envy sometimes as to what Puppet Master was able to do. And I do love that we continue the Big Brother through line that, much like is uh, denoted on the Big Brother wall this season, that Dr. Will is referenced very heartily in the title of this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or, or, or perhaps Raven Walton, which makes sense considering that uh, I believe Jake was doing some of her moves in this episode. Yeah, it depends. Oh, is that what was going on there? <laughs> Depending on the era of the show, either Raven or Dr. Will. <laughs> uh, but before we get into this episode, Mike, I did want to uh, catch up with your thoughts now that, like I said, we are in a new era of the show since you were last on. We've met a whole lot of new kids, um, obviously some changes going on in New York, uh, even from when we first got to New York last season. So uh, what are your thoughts on this part of the show? I mean, obviously, it's a lot different from the first three seasons, but generally, do you have fond memories of it? Any of these characters stand out to you as people that you care about? Or are you just kind of like, yeah, it exists? Well, yeah, so I was actually a pretty big fan of season four, and I was actually a pretty big fan of the new class. I think now watching back, and I'm sure you guys have talked about this, how it was very clear they were trying to map the old characters onto new characters, which, surprise, surprise, doesn't work when you also have the old characters in your show, because then they seem kind of useless. You know, I will admit at the time, as someone who really loved the Glee Project, I was a big writer fan. Of course, after the fact, and now that news about Blake Jenner or suppositions have come out, I am much, much less a fan of Blake Jenner to the point where I, uh, you know, like audibly groaned when I saw he was the opening shot in this episode. But in general, I was I was a fan of this newer group. You know, I think with this particular group, they were really going for you know, the the triple threats of it all. It was less so about that opening group, which was a little bit uh, a little bit messy in a good way, where it's like, okay, you know, if you can sing but not necessarily act and dance, we'll still hire you and make up for it. It's clear they were going for, okay, we're in season four at this point. You have to be the entire package. In terms of who stands out, I think Melissa Benoist has probably one of the best voices of anyone who's been on Glee. And it sucks that Marley Rose is one of the most blasé characters, especially at this point, right? Because season four, she had the whole storyline with the eating disorder. And season five, I feel like it's just purely around Jake. Like, I don't think she has any storylines outside of the Jake stuff. And it sucks because, like, she was just such a good performer to have her relegate to these storylines was not very fun. I'm actually, uh, because I'm using my quarantine time to endeavor and other odd pursuits, I'm going through the CW Arrowverse, and right now I'm in the first season of Supergirl, so getting to see her on that in a larger capacity and have her stretch her wings or her cape in a manner of speaking, uh, I, I really enjoy. But I think the highlight for me, especially in retrospect, has to be Alex Newell as unique. I am so happy that after that first three-episode run, they're like, okay, we have something here. Let's bring Alex on. And I know that Alex was not the best performer in the Glee Project. And admittedly, you know, especially watching this episode, I was getting a lot of what Amon was talking about with, like, first-season Mercedes of, like, insert sassy black line here with Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that Unique was saying. And I know that there are some storylines that, you know, she was able to get into that I was really happy about the whole stuff with West Side Story. I think her performance of If I Were a Boy, I can't remember if the bathroom storyline has come up yet. I thought that was really beautiful. And Alex has gone on to be one of the best alumni of the show between slaying it in Once on this Island, slaying it in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, just becoming like a huge star out of this has really made me appreciate the character more in retrospect and simultaneously also be like, damn it, I wish they gave you more. 
You know, I do wonder if 2020 Glee would have treated this character a bit differently considering the world has opened their eyes up a bit more to these types of situations. And I will say, you know, I love Adam Lambert. I definitely was a fan of Chris Allen winning American Idol at the time, as I think I talked about in uh, our, yeah. our, 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 our season one <laughs> podcast. But I love seeing Adam Lambert come back because it, it, we hadn't really on Idol seen that much of like a theatrical personality. And Adam Lambert was that to a T. And so to see him come here, like I thought he absolutely killed it. Seeing Demi was interesting as well, but it was such like, you know, people stereotype uh, shows as like when they start to get long in the tooth, they start to bring in like rando guest stars to do long time stints. And you guys have talked about that guest stars have really been a part of the show since the beginning. And we talked about how even season three with like the Holly Holiday and the Matt Bomer and the Ricky Martin of it all was starting to show that. But it is just so random that they bring in Demi Lovato and Adam Lambert to do like a multi-episode arc on Glee. <laughs> and the weird thing is, when I was looking this up, I'm sorry that I'm going on and on about this, I cannot believe that the whole Pamela Lansbury thing apparently is done after this episode. Like, they formed a band in three episodes, and then it's done right after that. And that shows how I think the show was sort of struggling as to what long-term plot pieces they wanted to hold on to, and which they're going to kind of throw out uh, in order to bring in new plot pieces for that week that'll pertain to the songs they're putting out there. Yes, um, definitely agree with you on a lot of what you were saying about Melissa Benoist and uh, Alex Newell, like some great stars there. And it's it's uh, definitely strange to like look back and see how kind of underutilized they were and how their characters were kind of less important as uh, the series goes on, just, you know, with the way that the show starts to evolve. It's bad. <laughs> season five. I mean, I like season five. I think that I'm enjoying, but I think I'm a Glee fan, so I'm always going to enjoy the show and I'm enjoying it a lot more than I have in the past, especially now that I get a chance to sort of like air my grievances on this platform now. But yeah, you can just tell that. I mean, I think that it all goes back to like the original critique of the season in that there is no reason for them to have extended the school year. They should have just acknowledged um, the unfortunate passing of Corey Monteith, acknowledged Finn's uh, passing and then moved on to a new school year because stretching everything out over because we're supposed to believe that all of these episodes, all of these, this part like of the storyline is going to end around what episode 13. So we're supposed to expect yeah. that the first 13 episodes all take place in a matter of two months, if that, a month and a half. <laughs> it's just like you're kind of like making us suspend our disbelief to a point where we don't even need to. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are certainly some gems in there. I mean, the episode that we just came off of, I enjoyed immensely. But just the time of the, the the time constriction of all of these episodes is just so strange and it's hard to like not think about it in the context of the other episodes. Especially when stuff like um these new characters, you know, pop up and then the new kids are sort of relegated to nothing. Like Ryder was like becoming the star of the of the show in in season four, and all of a sudden he barely can get a word in edgewise. And this is supposed to be the same school year like that means that he should still be as present as before and it's just it's just very strange but i mean it yeah. is what it is <laughs> yeah they were really trying to figure out what they were exactly doing while still keeping you know some of the uh, new talent relevant in the storyline while also obviously kind of shifting things towards the direction they're going to end up wanting to go with the show at the end of season five and uh, you know into season six so they do a lot of figuring out along the way from uh you know from their the writer's 
perspective and like changing things around up and down, left and right. So yeah, there's a lot uh, that is a little strange along the way, but as you know, we're on our however many times uh, rewatching this ep- uh, this show, uh, it starts to kind of become more acceptable to me at least of like, okay, I'm just like rewatching it. I'm, I'm like past the point of caring about the exact decisions. I'm just like taking it for exactly what it was at this point. So I do think that has a lot to do with why maybe like I might enjoy this episode more than somebody who's like, you know, maybe like even Mike, who's like revisiting for the first time, like what the hell is happening here? I'm just like, eh, it's fine. It's it's good. But let's get into it. There's a lot to talk about. So obviously, yeah, this is episode Puppet Master. Uh, we're going to see a lot of puppets involved here for uh, for real this time. Blaine is going to start off this episode coming into the choir room, telling them that Mr. Shu is stuck in his classroom for the rest of the day, but still wants them to meet and prepare for nationals. Everybody has all these different ideas, but Blaine has his own that he's going to put forward and say that, uh, you know, by the way, he does want to be the lead in uh, at least one of these numbers. He's a senior. This is his last go at it. Everybody's getting annoyed at all of his suggestions. And uh, he's like, I'm just trying to give you guys the benefit of my experience. You know, I've won more competitions than anybody else in this room. Uh, Jake is going to kind of push along with Blaine's idea that, yeah, we'll try something acapella just like you wanted, Blaine. Like, uh, let's give it a shot. Unique is still not about it. Uh, Eventually, Blaine's going to be like, fine, if you don't want my help, I'm not going to give it. And uh, it's not going super well for him. Kitty and all of them are kind of just dismissing everything that he says along the way here, Amon. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's not the only senior. I mean, I guess he is, you know, once upon a time, he was elected the uh, new Rachel of the Glee Club. So I guess this is like well within his stomping grounds to be able to claim a solo or whatever. But um, it seems to me that everybody has just been tired of it over the past year or so. And I mean, they barely even made it to, they barely even made it out of sectionals. They barely made it past regionals, and now they're at nationals, and yet here we are, still fighting over who's going to get a solo, and of course, Blaine is the one that wants it the most, and everybody else has to sort of like just shut up and deal with it. I mean, I would be tired of it too, especially if there's a possibility that one of us could get one, because uh, Marley has been getting solos, and she just got here, so... If you mean to tell me that Marley can put her, throw her hat in the ring, I most certainly will. I don't give a damn if you're a senior. <laughs> so, I mean, I get it. it was, it's so interesting that, again, the last one that I came on for, Big Brother, I think we all gave a gold star to Blaine because we're like, ah, oh, we feel so bad for him, and Darren Chris puts in a great performance. Blaine is insufferable in this episode, in my opinion, and it's so interesting. And I get that they did that to, like, make him have this big come-around moment of him having a big head around being a leader-slash-puppet master. I'm intrigued to ask you guys, because again, you know, my perspective of being dropped in the middle of the season versus you guys watching it, as Matt said, it might be a bit more of like a subtle gradient than maybe a, a just a brilliant color that I got thrown into. Has Blaine's character, like, changed to this? Or is this another case where, like, we want this character to act this particular way in this particular episode? (laughs) Amon has uh, some strong feelings on this one. Blaine is a baby back bitch. And it all starts Ah! with episode four, season four. More more like episode three. That's when he first starts complaining about, like, Kurt being away and him being forgotten about. Actually, no. It's more like the end of season three when... Kurt is about to leave, and he never ever like comes. He like never returns to form, right? Like the when we meet Blaine, he's supposed to be this dreamy love boat guy that can sing and dance the house down and all this stuff, and just like you know the, this all American 
gay guy and now all of a sudden he is he complains all the time he's he cheats on Kurt and then like sort of like gaslights Kurt when Kurt's like I can't believe that you would do that like that to me like oh well you left me it's just like and then he never he ne- like he never comes back to like the place that I would like for him to come back so I totally agree he's not very enjoyable and even Matt has been having reservations about clean and I think I think that we all have because is it a relationship of convenience for the sake of just having a gay relationship in a show that's supposed to be celebrating all different types of people? Um, or do the two of them yeah. actually need to be together? And it's been surprising me on this rewatch because I came in. I, I know that I came into this uh, show, I think, on our first ever episode saying that Blaine was in my top characters. Uh, as I have gone back and, you know, been diving into each episode, analyzing just kind of like how Blaine in particular has evolved. That's not the case anymore. I mean, that was stupid of me at the time to not think about Quinn being up there. That was really, really stupid of me because, of, of course, I love Quinn. So uh, she has easily taken, you know, that top four spot uh, for whatever reason I picked four. But yeah, Blaine has just kind of uh, turned into this, like Amon said. Uh, I mean, that's he, he has his own words to call Blaine. He's just kind of annoying um, for the most part. But uh, the, the funny part about it is that even though he is this annoying character, you still have like Tina, who is kind of like the representation for the fan base at this point, like in love with Blaine and fawning over him and just like like hanging on to every word and song and everything that comes out of his mouth. Uh, they still are so in love with him and, you know, want the best for him. So uh, it's, you know, it's just as much as it's annoying us on like the rewatch to see just how much he's been turning into this person. Uh, I think fans were still falling, you know, head over heels over him. So, you know, I mean, without Rachel, they literally had to fill in that spot in more ways than one. I mean, she's no longer there to take up all the solos, but she's also not there to take up all the air in the room. And I feel like as soon as she left, that vacuum just sucked them all in because Tina becomes a little bit more insufferable. Blaine becomes more insufferable. Sam is just all of a sudden stupid. It's just like all of them just lose their minds <laughs> once Rachel leaves. Maybe it's maybe that gas leak's just been longer in the choir room than they thought, right? That's they're, possible. They're all just getting like mentally affected by it. I also loved. You no, know, this is always a fun game of like, is this intentionally funny or not? I love Blaine saying he's gonna like pout about the fact that nobody's listening to him and proceeds to go sit what six feet away from where he was mm-hmm. beforehand. Like I thought he would storm out of the choir room, but he goes to sit in this random ass chair in the middle of like the vestibule into the choir room. Yep, he's just uh, he's gonna pout in the corner and wait for them to you know tell him to come back because you're amazing and we and we need you which uh you know he's going to get told throughout this episode but kind of in his head so yeah that's uh that's everything happening over in ohio let's uh check out what's happening in new york we'll get back to the blaine pouting of it all later on uh pamela lansbury our our uh, favorite new new york band is talking about their new gigs that they're trying to book kurt has their debut gig booked it's uh next thursday night they're going to be at callbacks which we have seen before but they're all freaking out they're like we cannot do callbacks santana says that that's instant career suicide. Starchild agrees. He says that they need to get started at the right venue. Not a single one of them can think of any band that has started at callbacks. Uh, Danny as well. She's like, this is stupid. I have no, no thank you. Uh, Kurt says, no, I was at callbacks the other day. I was sitting there and I pictured it. You know, everything in my head was was playing out perfectly. The crowd, everybody, every seat was taken. A quiet hush falls over the crowd as Pamela Lansbury makes their way to the stage and begins Madonna's Into the Groove. And we're going to cut over to see. Kurt's exact vision of how this all played out with the five of them up on that stage. Uh, Some fun outfits going on and uh, Mm. they're all going to go into this performance of Into the Groove, Mike. 
Yeah, it reminds me, their efforts reminded me of, like, the We Sing video series. I don't know if you guys grew up on that, of, like, Sillyville and the Big Rock Candy Mountain, where, like, it's singular-toned red, blue, green, and yellow outfits. Like, we're teaching kids about the colors, but it's super interesting. (laughs) We do get a similar thing to the New Directions, though. Apparently, that carries over to New York of, like, despite them being a band, there are people who play instruments that will not have a voice in the band whatsoever. Like, they got Danny Mm -hmm. behind the keys, but everyone else has decided to, like, uh, doo-wop style, stand in front of microphones. I mean, again, when you look at, like, the low bar of numbers in this episode, this is a pretty fun one. I guess this is setting up this idea of perennial fantasies that are going to occur though again this is like one of the only non-gas induced fantasies we're going to get throughout the entire episode and i guess from that perspective it's pretty tame considering they're just uh singing their darn little hearts out is this the only time we see them ever perform ever there's one more episode that has Pamela Lansbury in it, but it's I I think uh, not to like spoil too much, but I think that it's a little bit of a different look for the group. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's not everybody performing at once, so I'm not sure if there's another full on like all five of them performance, but um, they definitely. I don't mean, have many. they've definitely performed at the end of episodes, right? Like they performed Roar at the end of Katie and Gaga. That's more of a rehearsal, and even this isn't even an official performance because it's Kurt fantasizing about in, it in yeah. his head <laughs> yeah, yeah their most professional performance was the one that's in kurt's head exactly <laughs> so yes but i'm on did you did you like this yeah i'm a i'm a this this song used to come on all the time when i was waiting tables a couple years ago during the mm-hmm. brunch shift this song would always come on like every sunday morning i would just hear madonna all the time and i hated it but i don't know i haven't heard i haven't you know, been working there such a long time. And then I guess with some space and with some glee added in, I was like, okay. <laughs> like it was like Stockholm syndrome. I'm like re- returning to like my deepest fears of yeah. this song. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Also, if if you get Adam Lambert singing at some point of a song, like I was fine with Kurt singing it in his, you know, little contra tender voice. But once, once a uh, star child came in and they duetted a bit, I, I really enjoyed that part in particular. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, the Adam Lambert and Demi Lovato con- contributions to these songs, even though not significant, like the little lines that they get here and there kind of really tip it over the scale to make it like a really good number. So have been enjoying their presence. But of course, as mentioned, this wasn't even real. So it was a fun performance uh, in Kurt's head, but unfortunately, uh, they still have to wait to make their debut. That wasn't it. Uh, we're going to see at the uh, apartment or the loft, Kurt gets a call from Blaine, who is super pissed off about the Glee Club, everybody in there, and he's annoyed that nobody's, you know, he's like, Glee Club sucks. Nobody likes his ideas, and they all started dissing him out of nowhere. And Kurt's going to remind him that you are still at McKinley, where everybody has an equal vote. And if you come on too strong, they're going to think you're a control freak or a puppet master which they both paused on for a second. Uh, he tells Blaine that the uh, that Pamela Lansbury has booked their first gig this week, and he knows that Blaine was just there, you know, a couple days ago, but he would really love it if he would come back to see them perform, and Blaine says, absolutely, he wouldn't miss it for the world. So that's uh, going to be our first hint of the puppet master here. We're going to see down the hallway, Sue is going to walk by Figgins as he's cleaning the floor and he tells him that he missed a spot. And Mm. Sue lays into him here and says, you know, the way you clean these floors is like a perfect metaphor for the way you ran your school. You did your best, but your best just wasn't good enough. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I can imagine. I I haven't heard the earlier uh, ones you did on, on season five, but I'm sure you were all like gold stars out the wazoo for Sue for finally 
you know, succeeding on the hashtag and getting Figgins fired. Yeah, I felt like I had to pull it out of him on a little bit, the excitement. I think it was a little, uh, he wasn't expecting it to be so, uh, like, it, it finally happens and you're like, oh, that's it. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of forgot that it happened. <laughs> so when it did, I was kind of like in shock and didn't know how to respond. <laughs> yeah, I, I, for some reason, I maybe this is the Mandela effect. I thought that the Suez Principle storyline happened much earlier in the series than season. Me too. Five. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was season four, um, and the whole time season four was happening, I was like, wait. Where is, oh, it's not happening. So I guess, they, I mean, they probably knew at the end of season three, what they definitely did because they had that scene of uh, Sue and Roz Washington talking about taking down Figgins. So they knew that they wanted to get Sue into that office, but I guess they decided to push it back a little bit. I guess maybe knowing the time that they had to just not, you know, make her be principal for three seasons or anything. So they, they spaced it out a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sue's going to tell Figgins that, uh, that her time in uh, office has, <laughs> office, <laughs> in the principal's office has uh been uh, good so far test scores are up and uh absences and tardiness is down to zero so the school board is coming soon and she's hoping that they're gonna you know make this position for her official and permanent so uh she tells him she's like the truth is you should be cleaning floors and i should be running schools and if you would like to continue cleaning for uh, floors and feeding your family i suggest you do everything you can to make sure this place looks just amazing for the evaluation uh becky's gonna come by and tell sue that the board are in her her office including you know the superintendent who We've met him a couple times, uh, Superintendent Harris, but haven't really named him yet. Didn't really care to. Uh, but she, uh, they're going to come by and ask Sue why she wants to be principal. And she says she was born to be in charge. She tells them the same thing she just told Figgins, that test scores are up, uh, teams are winning, even the Glee Club is off competing for a national title. And it's all because now, now she can manifest her vision without having to clear it with some fool. She tells them, I am a champion. Let me be your champion. And mm -hmm. they tell her that she has uh, she has their vote. As they all go to leave the office, uh, Superintendent Harris is going to comment on all of Sue's trophies. And she's like, yeah, you know, no big deal. I'm a champion. And uh, she says to him, I know that you're new in town. May not be aware I am a seven-time national uh, champion cheerleading coach in the country. Uh, he says that he did know that. His wife used to watch those competitions on TV. Uh, he said, but it honestly, it bugged the crap out of me. And now we're divorced. Uh, he asks her, are you married? <laughs> and she says, no. You know, I married myself once, but I didn't think it was legal. Uh, he tells her that they should go out for a beer sometime. She's like, oh, you think that's appropriate, Bob? And he says, well, I don't think anybody would really have a problem with a couple of guys going out for a beer. I don't think anyone would see that as anything shady. He's like, besides, I'm new in town. I'd love to find some great new dudes to hang out with. So I'll call your office. Oh, God. And this is not going to sit well with uh, Sue. Right. Okay. All right. So, okay. So is it that the superintendent, because obviously this is going to send Sue on a really interesting storyline, but is it that the superintendent genuinely thought that Sue was a man or was it that she was coming off so masculine that he thought she was like, you know, oh, just one of the guys, like not literally a man? Because honestly, the episode is not able to tell me which is which. I think she, I think he thinks she's a man, which is yeah. absolutely <laughs> asinine because, I mean, I mean, many can wear makeup as well. But I am I'm, I'm highly pressed to, to believe that this 50 plus year old man would be standing in front of you with blush a light lip shade, you know, mascara on, hair styled in the way that it is, breasts, yes, breasts that you can even see through the damn tracksuit. Like, in what <laughs> world? Like, they could have at least made this a day where she was looking rough, because then you would have some sort mm. of... You would, you, would, you would understand. I would still be like, really? You think that's a man? You think that's a man? But still, like, she was like... In, like, her regular-ass garb, I just didn't understand it at all. Like, two dudes 
What do you make of uh, the fact that Sue has been misgendering Unique for the past two seasons and now finally kind of gets a little bit of that uh, thrown back in her face where she's not, you know, this this is not something she ever expected to be called, but she's uh, get, this is happening to her now. I mean, they were obviously trying to go for that, right? Because we're going to get Unique's involvement in the right. storyline. I just wish that they... And if that's what they wanted to do, I'm sure, fine, great. I, that's that's awesome. And I don't think it's the first time that she's been misgendered. I think that throughout the season there have been quips about like, oh, she's like a man, like she's like a, she's a guy. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I, I wish that they would. Ha- I wish that Unique would have been the one to be like, oh, it doesn't feel that good, does it? You know what I mean? Because then yeah. it would have been much more of a learning experience. But she doesn't see anything like that because she's just trying to be, you know, kind ass unique, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, it is interesting that you think as overt as Glee might be with like making parallels and making points that maybe they didn't make that connection uh, or maybe they just chose not to. But I just feel bad for like Jane Lynch or even like Dot Marie Jones when we were first introduced to Coach Beast of like, all right, you're going to come in and for this episode, you're going to be told that you look like a man and now react to that. Like it's that has to be a really tough storyline just from. A character perspective because what i will say as well is i thought sue did an amazing job pitching herself like i was enthralled by the speech that she was giving and the stats that she was throwing out this is again a really weird episode where our protagonists are seen as like just not great people and who's supposed to be our antagonist in sue sylvester honestly might have like one of her most sympathetic episodes she's had yet yeah Absolutely. Uh, she's obviously taking uh, taking this pretty hard. She uh, turns to Becky and says, Becky, I don't look masculine, do I? And Becky says, no, you have an allure that uh, goes beyond gender. And she was like, yeah, that's what I always say. Uh, she talks about how, you know, uh, she's like, I do think that uh, that Bob has a hairline highly suspicious for a man his age. But uh, if he thinks I could star in the sequel to Boys Don't Cry, that kind of bums me out. Becky tells her that it's uh, her clothes. Maybe you should try to wear a skirt from now and then, uh, you know, every once in a while. Sue tells her that, no, she grew up in a different time where she tried being, you know, more girly, but it didn't work. And we're going to cut to a scene of Sue and Figgins back when Sue first started teaching at McKinley. And Amon can describe her uh, her wardrobe in a second. But. But uh, she obviously is dressed much different than she is now. Uh, Figgins is going to walk by, of course, as principal at the time and, you know, welcome new cheerleading coach Sue Sylvester to the school and say, you should probably wear some pants. Maybe that would help you out a little bit. So we see her go to the bathroom and she cuts off all her hair. She puts on the tracksuit for the first time and she heads into the hallway in full on Sue Sylvester. She is she has arrived. Sue, uh, you know, the Sue that we know today is here pushing kids around the hallway with this menacing look and dramatic music behind her that we've seen many times before and everybody's terrified of her so she's saying to becky she's like that's when the world the world decided that you know they were going to bow before me because i intimidated them exactly how i wanted to and becky's like okay well that worked and now everybody's scared of you but it wouldn't hurt to girl it up a little bit now since they already you know they already are scared of you it's not going to change just because you put on a a, you know some heels one day I would have much rather her seen her like wear what she was wearing originally and still, you know, push the student into the locker and 
do all that shit. Um, I don't know what the fuck she was wearing. I, I don't know why you turned to me to oh be the fashion God. expert here because I don't You're know. You're always the fashion expert. Well, it was like, I mean, the, the, the entire flashback was like if the 80s exploded, right? Because she's wearing like the pink pantsuit with a skirt with the, the over-the-top shoulder pads a la Dynasty and like the long feathered hair. It just looks weird to see that on Jane Lynch just because in general we never see that on the actress. Uh, I do... Love slash I'm so weirded out by Figgins' choice to speak in an Australian accent. Like, I know he just said Crocodile Dundee, but I didn't know if there was, like, subtext behind that of, like, he wants to sound more menacing slash the fact that his Australian accent is non-existent slash just sounds like a, a different type of accent from maybe some sort of alien planet that is definitely not Australia. <laughs> I didn't even catch yeah, it, to be yeah, honest. I don't know what that was about. I didn't know what he was going for. I was like, what are we just like, did Sam catch the uh, impressions thing back from, uh, from Figgins from some kind of strange, like time machine. I don't know what was going on there. Maybe the gas was in the air back then too. It's the gas. Yeah. I I would not be surprised if in Glee, Sam travels back in time, meets principal Figgins and learns impressions from him. That's exactly what I think happens. And uh, one day we're going to figure out these uncovered stories that, uh, that either we have to write ourselves or they exist. I don't know. But we'll uh, we'll get to that. Uh, let's talk. Speaking of the gas, let's head over to the choir room and really get this episode started. All right. Let's I think it's uh, I think it's time. Blaine is going to walk into the choir room and he hears a voice that says to him, you're early. And he is freaked out and jumps 10 feet in the air. He says, oh, geez, Brad, you scared me. Uh, we have never heard Brad talk besides a couple of, you know, quick lines here or there. But oh, my God, we're about to get a Brad conversation with Blaine. Not you know, many lines, but whatever. Let me just tell you what they are. Uh, Blaine tells him that he scared the crap out of him. He's like, warn me before you talk, because I mean, I think that's the audience saying that's Brad. Uh, and he's like, I'm sorry, Brad. I'm just having a bad week. Brad says, tell me about it. I can't stop playing online blackjack. I owe thousands of dollars to some very sketchy people. And Blaine's going to kind of cut him off and say, why doesn't anyone listen to me? I'm in 23 clubs. I would have been prom king too if uh, the school didn't have so many stoners. And uh, what's wrong with having a solid game plan? And Brad's going to continue trying to to confide in Blaine and say, you know, my house is getting foreclosed on. And Blaine cuts him off again and says, and get this, my fiance called me a puppet master. Well, if pulling strings means that I encourage people to reach their fullest potential, then hell yeah, guilty is charged. Uh, he takes a seat in the corner of the room, Blaine does, and he says, Brad, if everyone wants me to just sit down and shut up, that's exactly what I'm going to do. So I'll just be right here in the back corner and believe me, that will send a message. And as Blaine sits down, we kind of cut over to the vent that's right next to him, and it seems like something is happening here with this vent. Because the next thing you know, Blaine is going to open his eyes, and we are officially in Puppet Town. All right, all right. Well, before we get into that, let's talk about Brad for a second, because I think... I re- Did Brad talk once before? I can't remember when he um when he dressed down the kids. I feel like that happened in an episode before this one. I think one, it's but... in season four is when he gets his first line yes. when Sue shuts down the Glee Club. And he's like, thank God for you, Sue Sylvester. Screw those kids. So, and that being said, poor Brad leads just such a, a sad, strange life considering that he is just swimming in debt, possibly got beat up by thugs. Uh, while Blaine drifts off into Gastown without even realizing it. But it's it's fun. I, I like those little appearances. I'm not sure if we get any more Brad lines after this, but I thought it was a, a fun moment. I will also say, again, going to Blaine's insufferability in this episode, like, Kurt did definitely did not call him a puppet master. Kurt said, hey, 
keep your ego in check. You don't want to end up as a puppet master. That, to me, is distant from him outright calling Blaine a puppet master. But I guess if that's the episode title to the point where they paused on it laboriously. Shove it in there. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. It just, it just doesn't make any sense to me as to Blaine, like, leaping to that conclusion. But that's the least of his problems. Considering that the gas comes on, why why does it have to be puppets? Why did they think, okay, like, others that might be, like, I don't know, interestingly linked. Like, again, the Britney fantasies. Everyone swapping personalities. That's, like, a fun quirk. There's been no tropes around puppets up to this point that they decided, let's make everybody a puppet. <laughs> exactly. Poor they, Brad. Uh, they, this comes out of nowhere. <laughs> but, yeah, she's he's going to open his eyes, like I said, and he's going to uh, see the Tina puppet who's yelling to him, Blaney days, Blaney days, wake up. We're sorry we didn't listen to you earlier. And Artie, uh, Artie Puppet says, yeah, dog, our bad, yo. Kitty oh Puppet tells him, I'd love to say something really bitchy or even downright cruel, but I can't because you're clearly the most talented teenager at this school on the planet. Sam Puppet says, uh, yeah, that's why we're best friends, even though I'm straight and you're gay and I'm blonde and you're gay. And Will Puppet says, kids, I've have I've got an awesome idea. This week's lesson is about the most inspiring guy we know. Blaine! Unique Puppet is going to close us off here uh, and say, ooh, child, Unique has got the blues. The only way to cure him is here. Blaine's smooth as a baby's butt voice. All of them are pleading and begging with Blaine, please sing something, Blaine, please, 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 please. And Blaine's like, really? Well, if you guys insist, what should I sing? Oh, I know. Hit it. And we're going to go into this performance of uh, You're My Best oh, Friend my from Blaine and all the puppets. So so do we think that, like, my theory is that Kevin McHale, like, was so checked out of this episode. Considering, like, there's an infamous uh, story about when NSYNC guested on The Simpsons that Justin Timberlake, like, uh, all he said was word uh, just because, like, he was not for it and they decided to just loop that over and over again. Because, like, the, the Artie line in particular sticks out to me so much. Because, like, again, you guys have a better estimation of the Artie character than I do. Like, he is not someone who's like, yeah, yo, that's great, dog. Like, he, I don't think Artie went full Randy Jackson yet, so it's such a <laughs> such a weird, weird thing to give him. But yeah, I mean, I guess now this is probably the innermost glimpse we get into Blaine's psychology, and it it's a little sociopathic. Like, he, there's a little bit of Andrew Cunan in here from Blaine, and that he is regarding everybody as fawning over him and loving him to the nth degree. This was his uh, audition love, love tape for Assassination of Gianni Versace. I'm convinced. This is I mean, well, to, to that point, though, that's sort of the high point of Darren Chris's career. I would say this performance by far is the low point of Darren Chris's career. <laughs> with him having <laughs> no! to genuinely sing Queen into the face of ten puppets where nobody else is in the room. That's the other thing. Like, if it was, it was like, you know, Sesame Street where the, the realm of reality was sort of based in that environment. Or, like, even if somebody else was there... I think that would have helped the situation instead of just Darren Chris by himself. He's number one on the call sheet because everybody else are puppets and puppeteers in this scene. I feel like... <laughs> I think this is the highlight of his career. Poor Brad has probably already been killed off by whoever he owes money to because he doesn't even get a puppet. Since when does Mr. Shoe play the fucking piano? Since when does Jake play the fucking piano? Since when does Marley play the damn bass? Why is everybody They're playing the bass? Well, they opened the episode with all of them like tinkering away at the instruments. So I guess that sort of like is a uh, Blaine short term memory because I don't remember Marley was on the double bass for some reason. The puppet mm. depictions of these people are also 
so interesting. Like Ryder has like a giraffe neck. Marley yeah, like why? Like a, a <laughs> he looks so cap? fucking weird. Yeah, I was gonna ask if anybody has any specific like highlights of these puppets from what we've seen so far. Uh, I think that uh, I mean the one that I noticed the first is Kitty being all pink. I don't know that just made sense to me in her McKinley High uh, Cheerios uniform. Uh, bl- um, Jake is all blue. I mean everybody being different colors. I feel like is is fun. Sam and the long hair. I hate, but it really kind of looks like Sam. Artie as well. Really kind of looks like Artie. Uh, I don't know how they uh, pulled that off so well, but some of those puppets are a little scary. Uh, realistic looking the will one is kind of annoying yeah will looks like will the interesting thing i noticed about the arty one was that the arty one barely opens his mouth like you'll see it when they cut to him a few times and they try to like adr or lip sync it up that like i don't know if they just built it in a way that it's not going to get as much full of range movement as some of the other puppets uh pun unintended due to the wheelchair situation but that one was oddly off from everybody else maybe he was still in like yo dog mode that he wasn't concentrating on the Mm -hmm. song at the time Unique, unique got a good one. Unique looks uh, good. She's got a big mouth over there. Uh, Marley got a very bad puppet, if you ask me. Uh, Tina's is is really good with the whole dress and everything. I think she's uh, she's okay. But yeah, I'm looking at some of these puppets and I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm, I hope they got to like take them home or something. That's just so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like I'm watching it now. This thing is fucking ridiculous. What is going on? <laughs> Yeah, this is this is like the iconic part of this episode where Blaine is laying on the ground with all the puppets around him and they're all singing as well uh, to this song, You're My Best Friend. And yeah, it's just the puppets are everywhere. They're all in their own, like they're all doing their thing uh, around him and he is just living his best life with all these puppets. Um, but of course, we can, I guess, move on because we will see them throughout the episode. But Blaine is going to uh, end up, you know, waking up, I guess, from where he just drifted off to and Tina. Tina, real Tina is going to say, Blaney days, Blaney days, what's wrong with you? Sam's like, yeah, dude, you didn't say a word the entire class. You didn't even sing. Kitty's like, you want us to call the ambulance because your pity party is getting out of control. Uh, unique Wait, so still as a puppet. He, he, he sa- oh, my God. Yeah, I forgot about the unique puppet. Wait, so did he? So he sat there the entire rehearsal, like whacked out of his gourd just just off in another world like not even because he's gonna have a dream later on but here he's in a an a fully conscious fantasy where he just sat there the entire time non-responsive that's what he said he said he's just gonna sit there and prove a point to everybody and just sit in the corner and that's what kitty's calling him out for saying that your pity party is out of control because he just sat there with that whole performance playing in his head the entire time that glee club had the rehearsal for the day not participating at all uh he didn't say a word it sounds like he didn't even sing and yeah uh then the unique puppet comes in to say yeah you better check yourself before you wreck yourself so uh blaine they're still not having it with uh what he's up to but he's they have no idea what he's actually up to so this is uh you know a little bit of a whatever here so that's that i guess we uh like you said we'll, we'll see the puppets again a little bit later on but let's uh follow jake real jake not puppet jake over to uh he's gonna do some rehearsal with brie and the cheerios over in the ballet room and he tells them all after they're done that they sucked and they need to go get focused you know hit the showers we'll try again tomorrow as they're all leaving the room, uh, they're all kind of, you know, making their goodbye to Jake a little bit more, uh, you know, personal than you would think uh, it would be. But uh, Brie <laughs> is going to like one in particular, one in particular comes by Jake and kind of like really gets close to him. Bree's like, oh, come on, her too. And Jake's like, yeah. I would, all of them actually it's like whoa 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 all right jake uh, Br- uh blaine is going to find jake in the hallway after all this and thank him for standing up for him in the glee club uh blaine's like but 
dude, there's something funny going on in there. I don't know if it's like haunted or a space-time continuum kind of deal back there, but trust me, go over there and sit in the back corner of the room. It is crazy. So now that Jake has been, you know, uh, dealing with Bree, dealing with Blaine, he is, you know, happy to go find out whatever uh, Blaine was just talking about. We go back to the choir room. I guess this is, uh, I don't know if it's the next day or what, because why would they have rehearsal and then rehearsal? It must be a different day. Uh, Will is in there and he's talking about how, you know, dancing has never been our strong suit, but with Jake's help, we can kick it up a notch. Jake is going to walk in and ask, you know, what's the point? You know, I could put together a whole sick dance for these guys, but nobody can keep up. Nobody's dance. Nobody's a dancer in here. You know, Brittany's off at MIT. It's just me. Uh, Marley calls him out and says that he's a conceited jerk and Jake is going to take his seat in the Blaine chair that Blaine talked about. He's like, no, I'm not conceited. I am just bored. Marley is like, oh, please. We've seen your dance moves. They are fine, but they're not epic. And as uh, Jake sits there in that chair and whatever this gas is that starts to uh, get closer to him, he is going to breathe it in. And he says to Marley, oh, you want to see dance moves? Give me a beat. So that's the other thing is that, again, Blaine is insufferable. I, I, I can't. I don't know if I want to say Jake is more so, but like, God, he's an asshole in this episode. God, the whole line, I'm not conceited, I'm just bored, somehow makes him sound even more conceited. Of like, no, I'm not high and mighty. Uh, you guys just bore me. I can't bring myself to actually teach you guys how to dance. And it's taking a pot shot at Tina's moves in particular. And the interesting thing is, I guess, is the gas like a Rorschach test? Where, like, whatever the gas gives you... Because I thought we'd go into Puppet Town again. But no, now we're going straight into a Janet Jackson mashup, not involving any puppets whatsoever. So I guess only Blaine is the demented one that dreams up the puppets. Yeah, we are going to go into a Janet Jackson mashup. We've got Nasty and Nasty Rhythm here are uh, are mashed up. And as the, uh, not what did I just say? Uh, nasty and Rhythm Nation, sorry, are mashed nasty up here. Nasty and Nasty Rhythm. <laughs> sorry. Uh, Aman, as the uh, expert on the panel here of all things uh, from the Jackson family, what did you make of this mashup? Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Mike, we need a minute. Mike, I'm sorry. We just need a minute to kind of collect our uh, our, our thoughts and everything with uh, this performance. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I just, you know, the only, uh, well, okay. I didn't need Marley to be singing in this number, to be honest. I kind of wish. Yeah, she shows like this, like, energy that she has never once shown before right yeah, she sings like what the, the second line of the song like the second like the 17th line of the song and that's it i didn't need her to be there i mean i understand that her and jake are at odds with one another but i was kind of more interested believe it or not in the brie of it all because we show yep. we see brie you know obviously i mean she went from being this bad girl that's like totally trying to steal jake away from from uh from marley to now being like, what What the hell? Like, you're sleeping with every Cheerio, including me. Like, what the hell is going on? I kind of wanted to see the two of them. Like, because we know that the actress for Brie can dance as well. I kind of just wanted them to just go at it and, like, sing together. Because, like, I was like, you know, mm. like, I didn't need Marley there. And honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not really sure what else to say about Jake's dancing and about this performance. Other than that, it was... <laughs> I love it again like if you have to say it show don't tell if you're like wow Jake's the best dancer we've got let's hire Jake to choreograph the Cheerios like you better have like Sherry, Harry Shum Jr. or Heather Morris uh, level of dancing and he's fine uh, Jacob Artist is fine but clearly not on that level yes he is 
<laughs> but I mean, he's fine, definitely fine. Uh, but I think that you know, to Amon's point, this would have worked so much better as like a duet between Bree and uh, Jake. It's weird that Bree only gets one line too. Like she yeah. really shows she has pipes in that one line. But like exactly. they should have clearly been facing off. And again, I love Melissa Benoist, but she cannot like sell Janet Jackson. <laughs> I'm no. sorry. Like she tried the best she could, but she really cannot sell that gumption i thought it was interesting like i like the rec- the recreation of the whole rhythm nation of it all between the the black and white and i like the cheerios but i also don't know why brie was not dancing like because we also we have to remember yeah. this is jake's jake's fantasy is he dreaming the subtext of what brie is feeling about him like i i thought he had no idea that the fact that she had some consternation towards the fact that he was sleeping around. So I didn't understand why he necessarily brought that character instinct into his own fantasy. It was, I, I didn't get it either. I kind of just want, I just wanted to see the two of them just kind of like go at it because you're right. Like he would have no idea that she is over here feeling any kind of way. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess he kind of would because we get like a little bit of a clue when she's like, right, seriously her too. Like, so, I mean, if this is supposed to be a fantasy of him, like, not only wanting to not have to deal with the Glee Club and teaching them how to dance, but also, like, not trying to catch feelings for any of these girls, then I can I can understand Marley being there. But, like, I just didn't need her to be... I felt like she was bringing it down, and I just wanted to see more of the... I am getting hot and bothered. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I, I'm glad that Brie, like, I've been waiting for this number, I think, for a while now. For some reason, I kept thinking it was, like, episode one, two, or three or something. Well, not three, uh, but I thought it was earlier, but for, we're waiting for it here. Um, uh, this is also, by the way, going to be Brie's last episode on the show, so what? she wasn't a long-term oh my character. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, uh, sad to say that like they do wrap up everything within this episode we're going to see. They're going to be uh, sniping out these characters in season five. They're just like, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> You've been relieved. If they if they had been able to stay at, you know, what they were, if they had, you know, had another year at McKinley uh, or whatever it was, they would, I'm sure, have kept Bree around. But obviously the, dire- the direction of the show is going to start to shift a little bit. But yeah, so uh, we're at least going to get this final number in of her and Jake uh, together, along with, you know, a bunch of other backup dancers that Jake absolutely absolutely murders this number uh with the dance i uh, in my opinion at, at the very least uh he does he looks really 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 good with all of them uh lined up in this in this dance of course they, they got the whole cage thing going with marley and brie both outside of the cage like watching very closely uh to him and yeah this performance is really something Ble- you know jake in the leather jacket no shirt with the cap on and just yeah 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 but <laughs> Of course, all of this was not real. Uh, he was sitting by the gas, and Figgins is going to come by and wake him up and say, Baby-faced mocha teen boy, arise! And Jake wakes up, and he's like, where is everybody? <laughs> Figgins tells him that they all left minutes ago. They were all muttering hateful comments about his snide, nasty mouth, and bad boy attitudes. And Figgins tells him to get the hell out of there. These poor... I, I kind of feel bad for Jake and Blaine in a certain perspective, because like, I think there's a difference between looking pouty and giving the silent treatment and legitimately looking conked out of your mind and i feel like the glee club can't tell the difference between the two and i feel the long-term health repercussions of these two guys it's like are they going out on like are they like talking in their during their during their fantasies are they like 
still like is there a part of their brain that's still able to respond to conversation and we just don't see it like like on autopilot or something because you would think that with the way that these kids are like leaving them like in the corner of the room each time that they're over there saying like fuck you and fuck your mom too and like all this stuff is like damn Fix that leak. <laughs> Damn it. No, it's 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 providing us some great content in this episode. We can't fix it just yet. Uh, yeah, so Jake has, uh, Jake has found this corner of the room, and uh, yeah, he's experienced it in his own way. And yet again, uh, the Glee kids are all annoyed with him as he sits there and just, you know, not saying anything about his uh, bad boy attitude, whatever. Uh, Blaine, the guy who gave uh, Jake the advice, is off in his arts and crafts class, and he's asking his teacher if he can make a puppet. Uh, he's She's very confused, concerned as to why an 18-year-old boy would want to make a puppet. Uh, he tells her that, you know, we're 600 miles apart, and even though she's gonna he's going to see him tomorrow night he really wants to see him and of course him being uh, Kurt uh, he really wants to see him right now even though it might only be in his imagination and the teacher's like alright fine make a puppet uh, he is going to talk to this puppet and uh, he tells the puppet that you know he forgave himself a long time ago and he thinks it's time that uh, the puppet or Kurt forgives him now uh, and Kurt says you are right please forgive me in this argument, I don't have a leg to stand on. Uh, so they are arguing about whatever. Sue's going to walk by in her high heels, and she is, you know, trying out some of a new outfit here or just a new uh, touch to make herself feel a little bit of that more fem- feminine energy. Uh, but as she's walking down the hallway, she falls over. And Blaine's going to rush over to her and try to help her up. And uh, she, he's like, oh, my God, principal, uh, coach, uh, sorry, are you OK? What's with the shoes? Man, you have big feet. She says, well, I'm sorry if my femininity threatens you. Uh, and then she notices there's something in Blaine's hands. She says, what is that? Did you just touch me with a puppet? He's like, oh, yeah, I made it in crafts class. Uh, she's like, get that thing the hell out of here. I, I, I never want to see it in my hallway ever again. Uh, he's like, what? You can't just ban puppets. She's like, what are you saying that because of my shoes? Are you less afraid of me? You know, in a few days time, I'm going to be evaluated for my abilities to run this school. And if a school board comes in here seeing students clearly off their meds talking to puppets, they're going to think that I don't have a handle on things. And instead of letting Blaine, you know, take it on his own and just not bring it back, she's actually going to take the Kurt puppet from him, which he is obviously very upset about. She tells him that it is contraband. And if she catches his hand up the butt of anything that isn't human again, he is in a world of trouble. So Blaine is going to be very annoyed as Sue walks off with Puppet Kurt. I think I just had a stroke listening to that scene be recapped. <laughs> that has to be, like, I think if you need a microcosm of the weirdness that Glee goes to is this scene of Blaine with a Puppet Kurt and Sue clomping down this, the hallway with high heels and the line, you're not going to put a ban on puppets. I mean, Blaine straight up snapped. Right, guys? When he's saying, like, I want to make this puppet so I so I can see him. All the love to everyone out there who, you know, loves puppets and loves to create puppets of their family members. But this is like, this is something. This is something, frankly, frightening. Making a puppet of your fiancé because you need to see him. I mean, good puppetry skills on Blaine's part. I think, you know, I know they're going to go in different directions uh, perhaps when the season is over. But I wonder if maybe in in an alternate future, Blaine works for the Muppets in some regard, works for Sesame Street. But God, it is so freaky that he decides to make a puppet with Kurt to essentially have some form of Kurt tell him how right he was and how they shouldn't have gotten in a fight, even though it really didn't seem like they got in a fight. Again, Blaine took this conversation in a completely different way than at least what we saw. Blaine. 
is a baby back bitch. And it's all coming to light so much more in this episode. He needs to control everybody. He needs to be able to just respond, uh, respond to pre-planned responses. He cray cray. It's not just the gas. The gas is just exacerbating it. And I'm so glad that he is being exposed for the narcissist that he really is. Yeah, honestly, kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of hard to argue with all that. Yeah, the, I mean, what are you, what are you doing with this puppet, dude? Like, come on, I, you want to call Kurt? Go visit Kurt. You're going there in a couple of days. You're supposed to, but you're making puppets. Like, I don't know. He just really was into that fantasy that he just had with uh, yeah, everything. Like, in the- like oddly, a little too much into the fantasy, right? Like, again, people <laughs> can love whatever they want to love, but at the same time, he's like, I want a puppet of my fiance. Like, you really. I know the joke was like, hey, get the hand out of the puppet's ass. But, like, you really have to wonder what he was going to do with the Kurt puppet had he been able to go home with it. Right. I, I mean, I do not want to uh, think about it. But, uh, like you said, be whatever <laughs> he looks so sad, you be. I don't know. She takes it from him. He's just, like, lost <laughs> without it. And that's the he's, act break. He's lost. The act break is that the Kurt puppet gets taken. That's an act break. <laughs> Yeah, I have I have nothing else here. Uh, <laughs> I did we'll, say he's a puppet. <laughs> yes, uh, poor Kurt off in New York has no idea this is even happening, and uh, I can't wait till we get to that of his reaction. So, uh, looking forward to that. But let's follow Sue. She's gonna head back over to the choir room, and she finds Will dancing and rehearsing. I guess practicing some choreography for the kids or whatever he's doing. Uh, he's gonna, you know, he's like, "Can you come back later, for, like in an hour or so, for your usual insult session?" She says, "Listen, Will, as an oddly feminine man, which he takes offense to, uh, you're able to maintain your manliness when you dance." Uh, she's talking about how she has a sizable crush on superintendent harris and she's confiding in will about this because i don't know why uh but she says well she explained why but i still don't get it she says a few days ago she thought that he was flirting but it turns out he thought that she was just a man uh will's going to go into this entire speech that i don't care enough about to uh give you the details on about ginger rogers was the pinnacle of femininity uh she was one of the most famous dancers in the world and her partner was fred astaire maybe the greatest dancer of all time uh, ginger did everything that fred did but uh, she did it backwards and in high heels Mm -hmm. she managed to find a way to be feminine and strong and uh half the time when it looked like fred was leading her she was leading him so she he's like i'll tell you what let's make a deal i'll teach you to dance uh backwards in high heels and you have to give me the six hundred dollars that i need for new costumes for nationals sue immediately shuts him down and says nope forget it no way no way in hell am i giving the glee club more money for costumes until at least you can explain to me how you paid for that 18 cubic foot inflatable lady gaga airbag that you strapped onto the back of the cripple kid's wheelchair uh she's like that was at least a thousand dollars right there william he's like fine suit yourself i mean she's got a point there where the hell did the money Mm -hmm. come for that that was not cheap uh none of those costumes were cheap including the Katy perry set including the roar set that came afterwards including the Fox set that's going to come later in this episode. These people have money. Will is hiding money somewhere. I'm not sure where. Uh, We'll break it down and get to the details of that at some point. But point is, Sue is going to sit back in the exact chair that has been focused on so many times in this episode, and she is going to slip into her own little fantasy as she's going to do a performance here with Will of Cheek to Cheek. Amon. Eh, this number's okay to me. Just okay. It's 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 fun. I like when Matthew Morrison sings legit, like harkening back to his musical theater experience when he's uh, yeah. singing Top Hat. I think I think he sounds great, and I think he's a great dancer. It does seem a little counterintuitive, right? That it's like okay, it's talking about how 
Ginger Rogers is arguably a better dancer than Fred Astaire because she did what he did, but backwards and in heels. And Jane Lynch is trying her best, but she's definitely not a better dancer than Matthew Morrison to the point where he's doing, you know, uh, he's doing arabesques and he's doing uh, various twirls, whereas she's just sort of standing there the entire time. So I like the intention behind it. And it is a genuinely sweet moment between the two of them who obviously have a very up and down relationship, but it's sort of disproves the exact point that Will was just making about the power of Ginger Rogers through dance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I really don't have a whole lot on this number uh, either. It's a, you know, a dream sequence, black and white, 1930s, whatever is going on here. Uh, Becky is going to end up waking Sue up and saying that she uh, needs to shop for a mini fridge for college. So let's go already. Ugh. <laughs> I love Becky. Um, so that's, that's that. Sue is uh, still looking for uh, some help over there and let's uh, let's cut over to uh, in her office a little bit later on we're going to see Blaine in his nightbird outfit I think or he at least has the headband on for it and he sneaks into oh her office oh my god I to forgot find... about nightbird holy shit yeah this was a missed opportunity for that to be honest yeah, this is this is the uh, not the not the first time since Nightbird happened that they were going to uh, bring it back. Uh, it was supposed to be in another episode, a couple episodes after it, but they could cut it out. Uh, the scene of Blaine there, so uh, he is kind of getting a little bit of a callback to that here as he sneaks in to find the Kurt puppet. Sue is going to find him, and she's like, "Did you really think I'd be too stupid to suspect that you would come back here under the cloak of darkness to claim your monstrous puppet bride, you strange doe-eyed pervert?" Uh, she tells him to <laughs> kindly remove his fist from pup. A puppet Hummel's butt and place him back on the desk and also report to detention for the rest of the week. Blaine obviously freaking out about this because he was supposed to go to New York to see Kurt and she's like, well, you're going to have to cancel Wonder Woman's invisible jet or whatever magical discount bullet train you kids use for your weekly jaunts to New York. Now get out of here and go feel shame somewhere else. The crazy thing is, so this scene happens right after uh, Brie tells Jake that she is pregnant and it is the whiplash that we got is insane to me that we go from like a very grounded, dramatic high school storyline to Blaine donning a Sly Cooper mask and sneaking into the principal's office to steal the yes, puppet Sly of his Cooper. fiance that he created. <laughs> like, this is insane that it went to this. But the most ridiculous part is apparently the puppet's alive. Apparently the puppet's alive, guys, because uh, at the end of the scene, the puppet starts coming to life and Sue turns back and then the puppet like goes back into its inert form. What? What? Is this a universe where puppets can be alive in Glee? Is that is that the thing now? I guess it's now that she's had her little dosage of the of the gas. It's like lingering effects, maybe. Like everyone's brain has just been permanently altered <laughs> to the point of paranoia. Yeah, that must be it. It's got to be the gas is still like in so, like infecting in her head or something like that because that puppet didn't move. Like no no way. Right? No, I, right? I, no, I hope the, so. can, we cannot live in a legitimate universe. On the show Glee, which is based around a high school where goddamn puppets come to life on their own. But if there is a high school for this to happen at, I, I think it's this one. Yeah, honestly, this is like now echoing Buffy where like I would not be surprised if Lima was on top of like the Hellmouth and McKinley is just like having all these random creatures and spirits come into them every week. Yeah. It's uh, it's something strange happening here. So, yeah, the puppet moves around. Uh, speaking of, though, speaking of Kurt puppet, Blaine's going to call real Kurt to tell him that, you know, this is the night of the of the first gig. And he's actually in 
uh, Lima, not in New York. And he's like, I'm fine. Um, but then all of a sudden we see Blaine talking to Puppet Kurt, actually not regular Kurt. Puppet Kurt's going to start yelling at him. And again, we're back in Blaine's head right now. Uh, he is telling Puppet Kurt about how the detention happened and there was a possible suspension if he didn't go. And Puppet Kurt is getting so annoyed at him. And Blaine's like, all I did was try to steal back the, the Kurt puppet that I made in crafts class. And Kurt's like, excuse me? The what puppet? What the hell are you talking about? And Blaine's like, I know, it's kind of a weird story, but basically I was just missing you. And Kurt's like, and that's how you see me? A thing of felt and cloth and button eyes that has no feelings that you can play with and manipulate and then discard whenever you're feeling bored? I am a person, Blaine. I am flesh and blood and bone. And this is a really big night for me and I needed you to be here. And Blaine tries to catch his attention one more time, but Kurt's going to hang up the call. Uh, Very upset. Puppet Kurt, real Kurt, whoever Kurt is uh, on the other end of this call. Uh, Real Kurt is going to tell Rachel they can release Blaine's seat, which Rachel's going to tell him won't be necessary because at this performance uh, that they had scheduled, there is actually nobody here except for one person who thinks that it's actually uh, Angela Lansbury performing tonight. But yeah, they're all pretty disappointed about this. Uh, Danny, Starchild, and uh, Santana in the background are all pretty disappointed that there's nobody here. So that's what's happening there. But obviously the uh, big headline here is Blaine and his Kurt puppet phone call that he just got off of. And what is happening? (laughs) What? 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 Well, uh, 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 well, I, I'm also first like mystified. They did like, yeah. Why did Blaine take so long to call Kurt? Like, the, it was the night of the performance, and Blaine gave no tip off to Kurt of like, hey, just so you know, I'm not gonna be there. You made your fiance wait expectantly at the door for the performance. Like, that's pretty jacked up behavior, dude. I know that you didn't want to rip off the Band-Aid, but the longer you leave that Band-Aid on, the more raw your skin is going to get for when you inevitably rip it off. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe Blaine's lungs are, like, particularly deep because the either the gas is still in his system that he still is imagining Kurt as a puppet, or I am legitimately afraid of what Blaine might do should he go down the dark path, you know? Like, if he is such a puppet master and he is taking the role on so much that he is imagining the people in his life, including the love of his life, as his puppets, this is very freaky behavior. I do not want Blaine to get in possession of any small animals anytime soon because the warning signs are there, the flags are slowly turning red, and now it is turned from, like, Blaine is an asshole to, like, Blaine is becoming legitimately horrifying in this episode. It's all a conspiracy. Dalton Academy was actually an insane asylum and the Warblers were actually figments of his imagination. It's all making sense now. It's all making sense. That's why they say okay, there, there are we're... a lot of Blaine conspiracies out there. I mean, about Blaine, about Dalton. Like, I mean, obviously the Glee fandom is kind of like a crazy place in its own. But like, I know I've I've seen a lot of like crazy takes about Blaine like oh, it's it's crazy stuff. I'll I'll find it all someday. I mean, I would we'll sooner believe that shit it, than it's... the Barry fanatics. So that's that's for sure. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh, had to go there. <laughs> so yeah, Blaine continuing to uh, be Blaine here. Uh, but we were talking, you know, about Sue. her involvement in this as well so uh, we're also going to see one more scene of Sue in this section of the episode where she's going to have Unique stop by her office and she says to Unique let's be real for a second you know I've never been all that nice to you and I really don't get you know whatever's going on with you but I have to say there's a part of me that really admires it Uh, when a woman of my stature needs a makeover she rings up all of her best gays but unfortunately porcelain the sassy toothless elf is in New York so God's most fabulous mistake (laughs) I turn to you I want to look more like a lady and I 
I am uh, asking you for help. Unique is happy to help, even though Sue is awful to her at all times. And she's like, I've already pulled out my makeup kit. I got you. So Unique is all in on this makeover for Sue, which I really wish, Amon, that she decided to like mess it up on purpose or something like that. But I mean, we're going to see a little bit later on that she like goes for it. Yeah, Unique just doesn't have it in her to do something like that. And I'm glad that she um that she didn't. Um I mean, this is nice because at, at you know, as it's it's the bare minimum, but it's like at least she is acknowledging that Unique knows what the hell she's doing. Um and even if she doesn't understand everything that's going on with her, like she can at least come to her for help with this sort of thing because I mean, while I think that suit looks like a lady, I guess, <laughs> I mean, honestly, should the superintendent, you know what, never mind, I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole, I just, I, just good for Unique, good for Unique, <laughs> I'm glad that she was able to find it in her heart to help her out, considering yeah. what she's been through. I wonder if, uh, I wonder if po- post-catfishing Unique is like, alright, I want to start doing good things to people, uh, maybe I'll help Sue here, despite all the consternation against her, and you know, like you guys mentioned, this is a big character moment that I kind of wish was developed more. I think the Sue storyline mm-hmm. this episode is again all a little tacked on is like I think it's I think it's interesting. Uh, it touches upon a, a couple of big things and I, I wish that we had gotten more of this, but we gotta get back to the fantasies, people. Yes, we do. So yeah, that's that's a uh, unique being helpful to Sue. But as Mike mentioned earlier, we did get a scene of uh, Jake and Bree about how uh, Jake's saying, you know, he doesn't want a girlfriend. Obviously, we're kind of uh, learning in this episode that Brie kind of started to maybe feel a little bit more uh, towards Jake than she expected to. And uh, she's like, well, I don't want to be that either. But, you know, the big news here is that she tells him that she is pregnant with his baby. She asks him to come to the doctor with her. Uh, She says that she's not telling their parents at all. This is staying between us forever. It's the right thing to do, right? So obviously seems like we're implying something here of uh, the way that she is expecting to go with this. And Jake is like, I guess, really no other option but to to go along with her. He doesn't, he's just like, okay, sure. Right? I mean, I'm on, this happens like so quickly it's just kind of like whoa yeah i mean i kind of found it hard to like give a shit about brie here because you this is what she wanted like you purposefully went after jake because you knew that he had those kinds of tendencies and you wanted to pull him away from marley and now all of a sudden there's a possibility that you could be pregnant and obviously i don't like wish the birth of a child on anybody that's not prepared to have a child that's not what i'm saying i'm just like well girl what did you expect like you got to keep that same energy like i don't understand like why you felt like you were going to be able to just be out here with him in these streets and then not you know have to pay the invoice sooner or later Mm. you know like you it just seems so strange to me that she was all all of a sudden she was focused on who else he was messing around with after you showed no disregard from pulling him from somebody else i'm just like what i Mm. I was just like, girl, I mean, you, you get him how you lose him. So. It's the scorpion and the frog. It's like the, well, I knew you were a womanizer, so I pulled you away from your girlfriend. Wait a minute, you're a womanizer? I had no idea. Right. Especially due to the fact that this is, this is her last episode. It just feels like a weird way to end her arc. Because, again, she was sort of seen as, like, the mean bee since uh, Kitty has sort of, like, turned towards the side of the Glee Club in season four. They want to bring yet another new Cheerio and to sort of serve as that foil. And then she did that, and then she got Jake away, and then she suddenly has this, like, random quick and emotional reckoning in her final episode. And so it just feels so 
out of nowhere. Again, especially compared to the whiplash of then cutting immediately from that to, like, Blaine going into the, the principal's office to get the puppet and then arguing with Kurt as a puppet on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... I, I agree. I, I think this is a little strange for uh, Brie here. I think it's uh, I mean, it's just kind of all we're really going to get, because as mentioned, this is her last episode. So they really didn't you know, give us much time to get to know her or care about her very much. It's like we, we knew who the character was. We've seen this character many times before and we knew exactly how to deal with her and how to, you know, take her. But as you know, only we're eight episodes into the season, no, seven episodes into the season. And she wasn't even in all of them. So, you know, we're not going to get enough time with her, but it's fine. It is what it is. So. So, yeah, uh, Jake is going to end up going over to detention, which he has been given for the week. Uh, Figgins is the leader of this detention session. He welcomes them, teen delinquents, to detention. Uh, the Beckfist Club, named after Miss Becky Jackson, who has been here more than any other student. Blaine's like, yeah, why is that? She's like, because I like saying bad words, bitch. That, uh, that, Figgins... was, that was the, the funniest moment of the episode to me was just the way that she delivers, because uh, I say bad words, bitch, and then her subsequently throwing the books off the table at the same time. For some reason, that just, like, really got me going. Yeah, Becky Becky is good for a laugh every time, every single time. I just am confused about, like, how Sue doesn't get her out of the tension. I mean, she is literally the principal of the school, and she could make anything that she says, says go like, no, Becky, I need you to come work with me, or, like, extra hours. I'm sorry, you can't go to the tension, but I, I don't know. I guess she's letting her go. But yeah, Figgins is going to say, Jacob X. Puckerman, you were caught red-handed, starting another exciting yet forbidden fistfight in the hallways. Why are you such a mysterious bad boy, a musical bad boy? It's now 4.01. You have exactly eight hours to ponder the horrific error of your pubescent ways. Uh, There will be no talking. That confuses me. Is it eight hours straight? Are they supposed to be there until midnight? Yeah, I was going to ask that as well. I don't know what this uh, detention situation is. Maybe it's like an hour after school for eight days. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You have eight hours. Yeah, maybe. But there's no eight hours. Or, or like no, four and weird. four. Maybe. It just sounds so weird that he said it's now 401. You have eight hours. Like, yeah. What? Like, I know, again, Lima and McKinley have very weird educational practices. And maybe Principal Sylvester, to keep everyone in line, wouldn't make kids stay until midnight. But that seems insane. Plus, I fear now for Jake and Becky being locked in there with crazy Blaine. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. Uh, So that has been made clear. Becky says crystal clear. She understands. Uh, Blaine is going to, as Figgins leaves the room, uh, the Beckfist Club is in full effect. And Blaine's going to take this time and say, why don't we get to know each other a little bit better? We can sit on the floor and talk about all of our wounds, our core wounds. And Becky tells him to shut up. She has no time for his bullcrap. But... We're going to turn to Blaine, I guess the whatever's still going on in his head is going to flip that switch and he turns around and he sees Puppet, Becky, and Jake. And Becky, Puppet Becky, is going to say, I'm sorry, Blaine Warbler, that was so totally inappropriate. Please come sit with me. Sometimes I fly off the handle, like yesterday when I taped Dottie's buns together. Um, (laughs) Jake is going to say, man, that's really heavy, Becky. Thanks for sharing. What's going on with you, Blaine? Blaine comes over and sits next to them, Puppet Becky and Puppet Jake, and says, well, to tell you guys the truth, I feel really guilty about missing Kurt's show in New York. And Becky's like, why? It's a stupid cover band. Jake's like, and dude, you go to New York all the time. You were just there last week. I love these, you know, self-referential jokes that they're Mm going to make throughout like this episode 12 times about how he was literally just in New York and the time travel of of it all. Blaine's like, yeah, true, but Kurt needs me. Jake says, but we all need you, Jake. Uh, uh, Blaine, you are so awesome. Becky says, yeah, you're America's gay sweetheart. And Blaine thanks them. He's like, you guys are my only real friends. And they're like, but we're not real. We're puppets. And uh, Blaine says, 
says, well, maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe the fact that I can only really feel like myself uh, with friends that I can totally control is keeping me from really feeling like I'm close to anybody. Maybe it's like a deeper intimacy issue. And they're like, well, maybe you could just wise up and uh, we'll start doing and start doing everything you say because you are so right all the time. And by the way, uh, did you notice that you're now having puppet fantasies outside of the choir room? That's really not normal. Like, seriously, you might want to go get a CAT scan. But real Jake is going to end up, uh, I guess, waking Blaine up from the fantasy again and asking him to cover for him because he's got to leave early. Blaine says, uh, yeah, sure. Why not? And before we get to that scene, any uh, thoughts on all this? I mean, personally, number one puppet does end up going to Becky Jackson. Yeah, uh, I love the glasses in particular. Like, it is a very cartoony look, and I think it looks good on her. Uh, that's weird to say about puppets. Well, this one, you know, is a bit different from the fantasies, right? Because this one is an outright dream. I think we see Blaine wake up. God help us if he's sitting there catatonic again in detention. Because then I think it is, maybe he does need a cat scan because there is something wrong with him. But yeah, again, it, it's strange that... Blaine is now sort of self-prescribing, and then his other quote-unquote personalities are subsequently telling him, no, don't worry about that. You're fine. We love you, Blaine. You are the best. Like, basically starting a parade for him. Apparently, from what I read, uh, during this scene, Blaine, Puppet Jake, and Puppet Becky were supposed to sing a song. Uh, they were supposed to sing Don't You Forget About Me because of the, like, very loose and not even well-done be- breakfast club allusion were done in this scene. But I guess they sort of put the kibitz on it. But yeah, I don't think we need... I don't think we need to add another puppet song on the fire, please. Huh. Well, we would have never have had a Jake and Blaine duet. Now I kind of feel miffed by that. What the fuck? Because obviously Becky wouldn't have sang because Becky never sings, but... Hmm. I mean, it would have gone with the rest of the eclectic-ass song twists of this episode, that's for sure. Uh, interesting. <sighs> would have liked to see it, yeah. I uh, I wish we would have gotten a full Breakfast Club episode of Glee, but sadly we uh, are going to have to settle for the Breakfast Club here. A quick little scene. But yeah, as mentioned, uh, Jake is going to go off to uh, pick up Bree because it's time for the appointment that she had scheduled, but she tells him no need. Uh, the Crimson Tide is rolling again. He's like, what? She's like, I got my period. Uh, I guess I was just late. And he is so relieved, and she's kind of annoyed at how relieved he seems. He's like, I'm just glad that the whole thing is over for both of us. And again, like I said, she's annoyed, and she's going to call him out and be like, you are just this douche playboy who's going to be like this for the rest of your life and one day you are going to knock somebody up and honestly I feel really bad for that kid the kid that's going to share your DNA and Jake is obviously offended by this he's going to turn to her and say uh, I will actually be a great father one day and Bree's like to who you're seven different kids with seven different sets of women uh, Jake is feeling, I guess, a little bit bad at this point because he's going to apologize to her for, you know, the way that she's obviously feeling. Like, I guess she really she really did catch feelings. She started to feel a little bit special because Jake turned to her. I mean, when he was, uh, you know, not. No, when he was, I guess, screw her. Screw her. <laughs> like, she is totally not within the not within her right to be acting like this. Like, you did this. Girl, you did this. Stop trying to strip yourself of the agency that you had. You were the one that threw yourself after him. And yes, you eventually got him to cheat. Now all of a sudden you're pissed off because you you screwed up. I don't know what I don't know what the situation is like. I don't know if y'all weren't using condoms. I don't know if you were using condoms and then something happened. I don't know what it was. But the both of you made this mistake together. So for you to sit here and act like you were like the most morally righteous person ever, and that this 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 guy over here is going to have seven kids. 
by seven different women by while you were out here throwing yourself around as well. It's just like, girl, no, get out of here. Like, I was just like, I, like, how, how are we supposed to give a shit about this character? Just how? How? I got just like, I, she really annoyed me. I think it's sort of like, it's two wrongs not making a right here as well. Like, I'm glad that Brie called Jake out as toxic because he is very toxic with what he's doing and the people that he's possibly hurting. But to your point, Amon, she sort of was like purposely got this situation only to, to like, I guess, sort of have regrets about it. She's toxic as well. This is the girl that dumped a bunch of like a slushy on top of Tina. This is the girl that's been like trying to get the, no, no, no. Like you're not getting it from me, sis. Like if I were Jake, I would have gave her that work real quick. Like, look, who's talking. Look who is talking. Mm. It's just like, you you spend the entire like what what is this episode seven? You spent the entire seven episodes that you're on this show being horrible, and then something horrible happens to you, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to, no, I'm not take I'm not dealing with it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> Sell it to somebody else, honey. Well, yeah, n- not much time for them to really you know resolve after this anyway. So like I was saying earlier, they really just kind of wrap it up super quick. Like it's like bam, she's pregnant. Nope, she's not, and uh, this is the end of the story of her just being essentially used as a bit of a you know push forward in Jake's narrative of like we really are leaning into this him being a womanizer thing and now it's like he really hurt the feelings of a character that we didn't get to know very well but we still knew of her knew you know that she whatever knew her more than just random cheerio like whatever whoever it could have been so she's gonna say stay away from me from now on because he's toxic and that's it goodbye Brie goodbye Brie we uh, hardly knew ya but Elsewhere in the school, Sue is with the superintendent looking very done up. And uh, this is she she's got her makeover from Unique. And uh, Superintendent Harris is going to tell Sue he owes her an apology. He got in all business mode. And, you know, sometimes when that happens, he becomes not so observant. Uh, She's like, no worries, not at all. And she's going to see Unique down the hallway and give her a little bit of a wink. She brings them over to the choir room to see uh, the, the new directions, every, everything in there, and Figgins is in there. He tells the board immediately, like, there to be the biggest rat on earth and tell them everything about how Sue put these kids in danger. There's a gas leak in here. And Sue shuts this down fast. She says, no, there was a gas leak, but I personally fixed it. And considering this would have been a you problem anyway, Figgins, this is your job. But then I found the problem and fixed it. I'm cutting your pay in half. And this is enough. I mean, Figgins made an effort. We'll give him that. But mm-hmm. the board has seen enough. They tell Sue that the school needs your leadership and they want to offer her the permanent full-time principal position. And at the end of this, after Sue has now gotten the job, Figgins is, uh, his life is falling apart before him. And Sue, as much as she thinks she has it all together now, she's going to go out and, uh, you know, really put herself out there, ask Harris to go out and celebrate, you know, like on a date. And his response is, no, I would not like to do that. So... Uh, as much as that probably felt good for a half a second, Sue, how did that feel right after that? Why wouldn't she just wait until they were alone again? Yeah. Why did she do this to embarrass herself like this? <laughs> Maybe she was like riding such a high that she's like, it's her I'm going to Disney World moment of like, all right, now that this is happening, hey, give me that date. I'm going off with my sweetheart. He's like, uh, no, thank you. And so I thought for a second that it would mean that the school board would be like, well, clearly she's in over her head. Let's stop it. But at least she does get to keep the position of permanent principal. It's just from a love story sense of things. Sue is once again uh, back at square one and a bit more embittered. Though I guess to a certain extent it also uh, teaches her, like, listen, people are going to – someone's going to fall in love with who you are as a person. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to change yourself in order to appease certain people who thought you were a man in the first place. Yeah, like, I mean – 
it was the it was the uh the clarification of what she was asking that did it for me she was like do you want to go on a date with me like as if she's like you know you want to just say yes and he's like no <laughs> like no i would i would not like to do that I mean, and I guess it just, it's just a small commentary on the sexism, you know, in the workplace, right? Because he was fully prepared to go out to get to grab some beers with this person that he wanted to make principal of the school, right? But now that it's a woman, you're like, no. It's like, well, okay, all right. Well, I mean, I, I understand because you're, like, trying to protect yourself because, I mean, that could lead to some really, really uh, something bad potentially. I get it. But, like, it's just like, ugh, that was rough to watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so she gets denied here. At least she got the job, so that's fine. Um, but let's check in with uh, somebody else who's having a particularly rough episode. Uh, Blaine, he's over in the auditorium. He feels like he's losing his mind because he is. Uh, he's got the Tina puppet by his side, and the Tina puppet starts talking to him and is talking about his abs and his leather. And uh, he's like, wait, what leather? She's like, uh, Tina puppet says, oh, the leather I was imagining you in when I was rubbing vapor cream all over your smooth, hairless chest while she's literally the puppet is rubbing you know against his chest uh, just to clarify just to remember this is blaine talking as the tina puppet just so just so we remember yes. that mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. uh and blaine as blaine is going to tell tina puppet that he's engaged but we're gonna get a, a bit of a turn here because real tina is going to show up as she is watching this go on and she asks him what is going on here he's like oh no nothing just clearing my head out you know trying to figure some stuff out she comes over finds the puppet. She's like, is that supposed to be me? He's like, what? No, 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 that's crazy. She's like, no, that puppet has my exact Asian eyes and exact dress. Uh, He's like, no, 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 total coincidence. Not everything's about you, Tina. She wants to just come in here and, uh, you know, beside before she saw all that, she just wanted to tell him something that everybody's feeling bad. You know, they spent the entire Glee Club session today. I guess Blaine didn't go uh, discussing how much pressure Blaine's in with nationals and graduation. And they're like, we get it. You were just trying to exert some control. And the truth is you should have some, you know, you've earned it. Sam suggested that uh, she sh- that he should have the lead on one of the songs at Nationals. They took a vote. It was unanimous. Piano, acapella, whatever you think is right. So he thanks her, and she says, of course. So, you know, if you're done being the puppet master, do you think you could take your hand out from under my dress? Uh, he's like, oh, awkward. Yeah, sure. Uh, and he gives the puppet back to her. He does say he's going to miss having a Kurt puppet, though, because, you know, he did anything that you said. So that's uh, what's going on there. Poor Tina. She just... Uh, Poor Tina. Yeah, it's also very strange that Blaine was able to make the exact same dress she was wearing. That's really mm-hmm. weird. Either he's super observant. I mean, I guess, like, right, we're in this weird part of, of Glee where, like, their best friends or Blaine's best friend is Sam. Like, they sort of have their own thing, which is weird that Blaine also told Jake and Becky that they were his two only real friends, like, major shaft to Sam and Tina. But it's just very strange that she's wearing the exact same thing because that means that Blaine knew that and made the puppet to look exactly like her. I really need another check in with the uh, arts and crafts teacher to uh, see that she like, did you genuinely approve of Blaine making all of these puppets? No, like, he's stuck, he's he stuck made them all with the Sly Cooper see... mask again after talking with I Sue guess. and made the other 16 puppets. Right. And that teacher's not as observant as Sue to know to be at the school when Blaine was going to sneak in. I mean, if he's if she's the one teaching him how to do all these puppets, she needs to leave McKinley and go right on over to Hollywood and start working for the damn uh, Muppets. Like, the woman is talented. <laughs> Are the Muppets still around? Do they still do stuff? They just, they, yeah, they just launched a show on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Oh, whoops. 
shows how much I'm paying attention to Disney Plus these days. Um, I'm sorry, this Big Brother and uh, Glee. Not, not much time for uh, Disney Plus, but I mean, I'm still always good for the uh, the Muppets 3D experience over at Disney. So <laughs> I uh, that's that's my every of so often my uh, Muppet check in. That's <laughs> that's all I can uh, provide in this uh, commentary space. But yeah, uh, any any other thoughts on that, Amon? I'm just surprised that he made a Tina puppet because it always seemed like Tina was the one that cared a bit more about their relationship than he did. But I guess maybe this just means that he really does care in his own twisted way. Yeah, the (laughs) the thing is, is that I think he appreciates the fact that she is so enamored with him, right? Because if we're buying into these fantasies, that's what he wants. Mm -hmm. What's what he thinks everyone thinks about him. So like, she's the one who most outwardly shows it. And so it makes sense that he would make a puppet out of his biggest sycophant. Mm-hmm. Yes, she can never say enough good things about him, and yeah, that that's the exact puppet that you want in your corner. I mean, the Kurt one, he said he liked as well because you know he did anything that you said, and uh, I'm sure he enjoyed that control as well. But the uh, Tina puppet, he knew it was gonna get give him all the affirmation he needed. So, Blaney yep, that makes days. sense. Um, Blaney days, Blaney days. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Let's let's close out a couple of, uh, of these storylines here as we start to kind of wind down towards our uh, big closing number. We're going to see Jake and Marley in the hallway and he is begging for her attention. She says 30 seconds. It's now starting now. He tells her that he misses her constantly. He knows he screwed up and he's sorry. He's like, I need you because I don't want to be this jerk anymore. You're the only one who can make me a better person. And Marley says, sorry, we tried, but it wasn't right. Uh, she's really not giving him anything. And Jake is upset that, you know, she's basically implying that she doesn't have feelings for him anymore. She says, look, I think you're a good friend and a good teammate, but I just don't feel the same about you that I used to not anymore. And uh, like I said, as much as he's pleading with her, uh, it's not working. She ends up saying, I got to go to class and really not giving him much of uh, much to work with here, which uh, she has every right to. And I'm glad she is standing her ground. And Jake, you can't just keep running back to Marley, you know, after all this. So sorry, but. That's the deal here. Yeah, I mean, z z z z z. Uh, just Marley and Jake stuff again. It's it's fine. Like I guess they're you know Jake has sort of realized the error of his ways, but understandably Marley is not going to take him back anytime soon. So it's another pin in the map of this very weird slash kind of dull road trip. Yes. Uh, we're going to go back to the loft and we'll see Rachel with everybody back at, uh, you know, the Pamela Lansbury of, of it all. They are having a meeting. They're not sure why they're having this meeting that Kurt called. Uh, Rachel thinks that he's going to retire the band. Starchild is like, no, I won't let him do that. You know, artists should be allowed to fail like we did. So I uh, see no reason why we shouldn't continue on. But Kurt is going to show up with a box of goodies from the place that they booked their second gig at the Williamsburg Music Hall. And they are so excited. They cannot believe it. Apparently that venue is much better to uh, be performing at than callbacks. So they're excited. They say that, yeah, they only had one uh, audience member the other day when they performed, but apparently it was the right one because he liked what he saw and he passed off their uh, music to his nephew who apparently works at the Williamsburg Music Hall. So they booked him. They booked them for that group. Santana thanks him for being uh, a fearless leader and doing all of that. Kurt thanks them all as well for standing by him the whole time. But the bigger story here is that as they are done 
talking about all that. A guy is going to show up with a package for Kurt, a gift uh, from Blaine, which apparently Blaine wrote on the outside of the box. Like, this is a gift for missing his the, the performance the other night. Like, I don't write messages on the outside of the box. What's that all about? Um, that was strange. And uh, they're going to open up the box. And they are, at least Santana is very creeped out by what she finds inside. Rachel seems pretty creeped out as well as they open it up. And there are a puppet inside for each and every one of them. Yeah. How the fuck does he know what Star what Child? What Star Child? Yeah, please. Sorry. <laughs> I, I would imagine I, I maybe know. Kurt sent him a picture or something, or maybe he looked up Star Child after hearing about him. The, I think the one thing that I'm really obsessed about with this is that it's very clear to me that I didn't realize this the first couple times I saw it, that Danny is nowhere to be seen. And you better believe it's because Demi Lovato heard that they would end the episode with them singing his puppets. <laughs> what does the fox say? And she said, fuck no. I'm not fucking doing that. And they said, okay, fine. We don't need Danny for the last scene. Everyone come sit around the board game and sing with your puppets. Yeah, she's like, I'm happy to uh, be on your silly show. But when it comes to uh, singing talking puppets that apparently look like me, yeah, I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. This whole thing is just so weird. Because he's going he's gonna to do the same thing for the other kids in Glee Club, right? Like, he's going to make them a bunch of puppets. And it just seems like after going on this journey with him, it's like him relinquishing the control over all of it. It's like, you all can have your bodies back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so strange. Yeah, it's it's quite confusing, quite strange. Blaine, I don't know what has gotten, uh, gotten into you, but back at the school where we do see Blaine apologizing to everybody in the new directions. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I, I've made some changes, though. Sometimes you just need to let go, you know, cut the strings. But I'm uh, he says he wants to be more of a leader and to celebrate. He made some peace offerings for everybody, which are in a box as well here for all the kids to open up and pull out and find their puppets and they all seem pretty into them. They're like, oh, wow, they look like us. They look just Artie is like, oh, man, it's it's great. It's awesome. Uh, so all of them actually do like their puppets. And that's going to lead us into our final performance of this episode. The reason Mike is here on this podcast in the first place, we're going to see the New Directions and Pamela Lansbury in New York going into this performance of a song that blew up at the time and, of course, made its way onto Glee. It is time for The Fox. So what does The Fox? say mike bloom oh my god i wish it did not say anything on glee i read that apparently it was initial this episode was initially supposed to end with, with with we can't stop by miley cyrus and that makes so much more sense to me because the thing is the fox if you read up on it it was supposed to be like a, a comedy song it's like this this norwegian duet was like i bet we could come up with like the stupidest song ever it's like the producers of like we're gonna come up with the stupidest song ever that almost makes fun of like edm lyrics and see what happens and it surprisingly took off but it feels like the show is legitimately taking it at face value or felt value everything about this is the hindenburg of musical numbers starting with the fact that they are all wearing animal noises and ears which is genuinely disquieting uh just it's just a weird weird thing kevin McHale is everything in this song because all you need to do is watch him and look at his dead eyes to know how much the cast was thinking dear god i cannot believe we are doing this on this show there's just everything about it from the weird jungle setting despite the fact that foxes do not live in the jungle to the reemergence of the puppets to the fact that 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 angela uh that that pamela lansbury 
are sitting around the table around some sort of board game for some reason. And it starts with them holding the puppets. And then they turn into the puppets at some point for some reason. And then they turn back into themselves. And there's no reason why. Everything about this, this is three minutes of pure insanity to close out one of the most insane episodes of Glee in the world. And you could honestly do an entire Zabruder film picking apart every single frame of this as to why it is honestly so mystifying (laughs) as if the show was sending out gas through the TV screen for us to all ingest and take in as we watch this madness unfold. Yeah, it's quite the, um, it's quite the show. It's quite the, uh, myriad of fuckery, (laughs) for lack of a better word. It really, sometimes Glee, especially in the later seasons, sometimes Glee, they, I mean, we know that they are trying to go for what's popular, right? Like, what does the fox say um, was a pretty memeable song during the time. But you you can tell that sometimes, like, the writers just aren't in on the joke because they don't know how to incorporate a song like that into Glee because this isn't a song that needs an entire performance, especially an entire performance with puppets. This is a song that is kind of, like, that just needs to be referenced. You know, I don't need... Yeah. A Glee cover of What Does the Fox Say? And if you're going to give me a Glee cover of What Does the Fox Say? I don't need for it to be the closing number of an episode. I also don't need to see the entire number. You could you could have had like a one minute of this song um, in, <laughs> in any other context, in any other scene, and it would have been far greater than what they did with it here. Um, and then you could have just released the entire thing on iTunes. Then I probably would have been more amenable to buying it because then I'd be like, oh, that was cool. They, you know, they're trying to keep with the times. Oh, those Glee writers, like, look at them go. But this was just some bullshit. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I loved, I, 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 I like the puppets of this episode. I think that it is wacky. I think that it is corny. I think that it's funny. I, I enjoy, I enjoy that aspect of this episode. But just the way in which it was done was just like, oh boy. And yeah, I just, I can just see like. All of these, like these writers and these producers, being like, okay, so what top forty hits are we going to go for this time? Like, what what internet thing are we going to go for this time? What theme of the week is it going to be? And then they hear, what does the fox say? Like, oh, we got to get that on. They, the kids are going to love this. And it's like, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not. All right. Well, I will do my duty here and stand up for this song in every aspect of it. I probably was on the same page. Like, what the hell is this? When I first watched it and could not believe my eyes. But as mentioned earlier, you know, at the start, at the top of this podcast, I really over time have just given myself to taking what they do all of the ridiculousness and trying to appreciate it and this is a song this is a cover an end of the episode number that they did that I've turned fully around on and I'm so happy it exists in the Glee universe to revisit whenever we want to of just what the hell did they decide to do how did we get here all of the complete insanity of it like that is what this show is just ridiculous stupid puppets dancing on like I don't know how to describe it like you can all picture it we've described it as much as we can to this point so I am going to stand up for what does the fox say here on Glee and I like if they got nobody else they got me on this one uh a couple months ago where well i guess it was probably last year actually you know back when we were allowed to go outside and do things um i was on a road trip actually no it was this year it was in january um i was in a car with uh guests of the podcast uh brian scally and matt gagan and we were driving down to maryland and we had a lot of glee going along the way and this was before matt had watched the show and this song came on in the rotation and he could not believe what he was hearing he's like no way like no (laughs) No, no, no way. Like, this is not real. Meanwhile, 
I'm up in the front seat jamming out like all in on this song, like as if this was just another like random like Katy Perry bop that they did on the show. I was in on this song and I was having fun with it. And he like I think that's what was was part of why he was like this isn't real. Like this is not actually happening. Like he thought that maybe there was like gas coming in from the air conditioning vent or something like that, or the heater uh, that was infecting him in the same way that Blaine was in this episode. So yeah, this is something they did on Glee and I (laughs) am appreciative for it. I think Mike sounds a little appreciative for it, for the fact that we get this insane episode and deep down, I know Aman, you uh, don't hate it. I don't hate it. I certainly don't hate it. I just, Okay. This episode it's just crazy is, to think it's about. Crazy. It's crazy to think about that that Rachel Berry has to legitimately, sincerely say, "What is your sound? Will we ever know? Will always be a mystery." What do you say? You're my guardian angel hiding in the woods. What is your sound? And that you had to have, you know, people going, "All right, uh, this week." I know you sang Billy Joel last week. This week you get to go. Like just random nonsense. <laughs> yeah, like just random nonsense sounds. It is absolutely insane to me. I cannot wait to hear inevitably the behind the scenes stories as to like just how, like what how the actors react to this in particular. Because there are definitely moments when like things go a bit surreal, but this has to be by far the most surreal, weird thing the show has ever done. And will ever do of, okay, you're going to perform What Does the Fox Say completely straight-faced to the camera while also having puppets for some reason, which has nothing to do with the song whatsoever. Like, Roar at least had a jungle setting, I suppose, so that inspired, you know, swinging by on a vine. What do puppets have to do with What Does the Fox Say? Absolutely nothing. What I will ask you to, though, is between the meme songs, which do you like better in terms of the Glee performance? The Fox or Gangnam Style? Oh, it's Gangnam the Fox style. and it's not even close. I hate Gangnam Style. I hate Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style all the way. All the fucking way. <laughs> it's amazing we've made it this far into this podcast with two of us having such different tastes. Um, but that's uh, <laughs> that's the beauty of it all. I um, The Fox all the way. What's your answer, Mike? I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's got to be the Fox just p- for the visuals of it all. Like it was always weird to me with Gangnam Style how they're like they're like, "Yeah, we know it's racist. That's what makes it funny." And it's just like plus at least to that really weird moment where like again, very weird tonal whiplash where it's, "Oh my god, Marley passes out and may die." But it's while they're performing Gugnum style. Whereas this fully leans into just how stupidly strange it is. So I got to give it to the Fox here. All right. That's uh, the right side of things here. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Iman. But yeah, so the Fox, that's that. I mean, what else can we say about the Fox? We'll uh, maybe bring it up again if anybody has it picked out as their favorite song of the episode. Um, but that's all that we have for the episode itself. Let's uh, get into some discussion about favorite songs and all of the good stuff that comes after that. Uh, we, I mean, yeah, we, we pretty much talked about all everything. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's it with uh, this episode here and this song that closes us out with the New Directions and all of their... Uh, the bright, like the, the noses from the animals and the ears and the jungle set that's going on again. It is so much happening here, but I think that's all we have. So Aman, what songs do we have to choose from for the, uh, for this episode? Okay. So we have into the groove by Pamela Lansbury. You're my best friend, Blaine and new directions, puppets, nasty (laughs) rhythm nation, Jake, Marley, Bree and the new directions. Cheek to cheek, Emma, or excuse me, Will and Sue. We haven't seen Emma in a long time. (laughs) Where's Emma? I miss her. I don't know. And the fox. 
New Directions and Pamela Lansbury. All right. So we have got five songs in this crazy ass episode. And Mike Bloom, which one was your favorite? It's like asking which finger I want to cut off. It's really like it. <laughs> this is the yeah, God. This is an episode for songs. Uh, I'm really between two and they both feature black and white uh, between either the Janet Jackson mashup or cheek to cheek. I'm going to go with cheek to cheek here uh, because, again, I feel like it's it's rare that we see Matthew Morrison tap into his musical theater roots here on Glee. Usually he is rapping for some reason. So I, I liked him sort of becoming dapper. I thought he was great at dancing. And I thought it was like a genuinely winsome moment between two characters. And honestly, I will say once again that I think the Sue plot in this episode, which might spoil my gold stars, uh, was by far the least insane part of the episode by far and so getting a nice little taste in that being able to sit in that for some time uh was definitely better in comparison to all the other wackiness that was going on around it yes aman what about you i mean i gotta give it to nasty rhythm nation because you know reasons This is a completely, completely superficial reason, but I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn. <laughs> Whew, baby. All right. Yeah, I, I'm going to join you on that. Uh, I do love the Fox. I do love it a lot. And uh, I just, I'm glad that I am able to sit here and defend it. But uh, as far as like favorite song from this episode goes, uh, or favorite number, it's just Nasty Rhythm Nation, that mashup. And I've been waiting for it for a while. I love getting Brie involved in the mix. Jake. Hello. Um, and Marley, it's a, it's a really good number, a really good mashup. They do a lot of good stuff with that one. So um, I, I feel like I could easily convince myself to give it to both. But I'll, uh, I'll let the fox just be in its own universe of something else. So uh, that's going to be also uh, my favorite number from the episode. Uh, let's get into our slushy ratings. I really could not even begin to predict where, Mike, you are uh, thinking to uh, put a slushy on this episode. How many times do you think you want a slushy? Yeah, so I'm, oh my God. It's tough because like, like you said at the very beginning of this podcast, Matt, like I am someone who loves the chaos and the wackiness but at the same time like this almost goes a different level to the point where like i was i was just laughing shaking my head at so much but i i did cringe a bit at the fox just because again it was so done so straight-faced and it's just not a great song to do with that sincerity to it so and i now i remember the scale that that's golf where the better the episode is the fewer <laughs> slushies you give i'm going to go I'm going to go four and a half here where, and I think the episode, like it's, it, that's not a mark as of like, I hated the episode by far. Like I enjoyed watching this episode just because of how insane it was. But if I'm comparing it against like a quality Glee episode, no, 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 no. It's not even in the stratosphere compared to that. So I, I'm going to give it a little bit of points for like just the pure creativity of it all. I don't think anyone in any legitimate writer's room could ever think about an episode where they have puppet induced fantasies. Uh, so I'm going to give it a little bit of leeway there. But yeah, it's get out of from zero to five. It's getting the four point five for me near five. That is officially the harshest rank, uh, rating that has ever been given out here. Wow. In the Congratulations. Mike Bloom on uh, on that award. We have not ever hit a five or a four and a half, but it's uh, all you. I did not realize that I would take the harshest rating out of your podcast so far. 
You did. <laughs> I don't know if uh, I don't know that I expect that I'll ever find myself that high just because, uh, again, I, I podcasting about the show because I like it. So I don't know that I'm ever going to hate an episode that much, but we'll see. I have we have given fours. So at least uh, we have come close. Aman, are you uh, anywhere near that four point five? Yeah, this episode is very wacky and I feel like it makes you suspend your disbelief in a way that we haven't had to in the past. I... Like I said before, I appreciate the puppets. I still think this is such a missed opportunity in terms of Avenue Q. Like, it was just begging for an Avenue Q song. And I just feel like it has to lose points for me for that. Uh, I mean, did I, am I, was I as uncomfortable watching this as I was shooting Star? Mm. Possibly, but for different reasons. And I like look because Matt, I agree with you. We have a tolerance for this kind of thing. I think we have a higher tolerance than most people do, and we are willing to forgive a lot more um, than the average fan will because Glee. But is this episode sort of like unforgivable? I don't know. You know what? No, I don't think I'll give it the four point five, but I do think I'll give it a three, maybe three point five. That's not even close. <laughs> Because it's crazy. I thought you were, were going to say, like, I'll give it a four. Like, well, it's not because a 4.5. Maybe closer to a three. I'll give it a, I'll give it a 3.5. Because this episode is fucking crazy. It really is. And it really does little to nothing in terms of, like, story development, which is fine. Because, you know, I, I'm fine with slice of life episodes. But is this really a slice of life? life? Or is this just, like... I don't know whose life it is. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is cra- this episode is crazy. This is... This is psychosis. Like, I just... <laughs> they really, like, you could just tell, like, that when they were, like, going through this, like, because you know they got to do table reads for these for these episodes, right? Yeah. I can just sit here and imagine Jenna Ushkowitz and everybody else that, you know, is has little to, like, no lines in this, and they're sitting here listening to fucking Darren Chris read through all of these lines with these fake-ass puppets, and they're, like, just literally watching the, the shark. And jump themselves jumping over it they, they just see it happening <laughs> in real time so i got yeah you know what no fuck it four four stars yeah i just love that image as well of them saying they're being and then they get to the stage direction of like suddenly a puppet version of tina appears to speak to blade it's <laughs> all right final decision four four stars i mean i hate to do it i mean and don't get me wrong Flushies. i there were elements of the episode that i really enjoyed i i did um and i'm not it's like it's a loving four if that makes sense like i'm not like yeah. fuck glee i'm just like this is crazy y'all this is ridiculous <laughs> All right, um, so four and a half, four slushies, and uh, you guys probably have a feel of where I'm going with this. It's a zero slushy episode. <gasps> Are you kidding me? I wish I was. I wish, I wish I was, but I'm not. I'm not. I really liked this episode, and I was teetering on the line of a zero or a half a slushy the entire time. But the more you guys hate on it, the more fuel that I have to give it that zero slushies. And that's where it is. This episode is not that bad. It's not bad at all. It is the most ridiculous thing that Glee has done to this point. 
and I appreciate it. I love it. I am glad that we have the puppet episode of Glee in the pantheon of Glee. It is one of the most iconic episodes for better or for worse, and I had a smile on my face the entire time I was watching it for the ridiculous nature of it all, for everything that was happening. We got to see New York stuff. We got to see Ohio stuff. We got some fun content with Sue, with Will, with Becky and Blaine and uh, Jake and all the breakfast club of it all, and the numbers, some of them were real. I'm standing up for the Fox to the to the end of time uh, rhythm the 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 mashup that was fun I thought all of the numbers were pretty good and I it's a zero slushy oh my god uh you did when you said I know where you guys you you guys know where I'm going we did not know where you were going uh definitely in a different direction <laughs> new direction perhaps so then let me ask you is this your favorite episode of season five so far no um, I have given another zero slushy rating so far. Um, and I mean, a little bit of different reasons and I'll spoil you, uh, but everybody else has already listened, but no, I gave the quarterback also a zero slushy and, uh, that's going to be my favorite episode of this bunch to this point. That one really, you know, obviously, like I said, for separate reasons, but, uh, as far as you take that out of the picture, yes, it is my favorite episode so far. Oh from, uh, my God. This and the quarterback episodes. are literal opposites of everything, of quality, of writing, of acting, of songs. That is insane to me, but God, I love it. God, I love your insanity, Matt Ligori. <laughs> that is fantastic it podcasting. Is- you're, no, you're not even you're not even slightly wrong that they're complete opposites of the spectrum. But Glee is all over the board. Like Glee is not a show that's made to be this serious. Like let's sit down and give them a script that just makes the most sense. Like we get those episodes, but we also get these episodes that are just wildly out of left field that have absolutely nothing to do with everything. We just stick a puppet on each individual character and go for it. And they went for it and it landed with me. Well, you know, is Amon still on the call? You know, oh, oh, I'm, I'm here. I just, uh, I mean, you know, I, I, fine, fine. If Mike and I are gonna give fours and four point fives, it only makes sense for this to get leveled out with a zero. Because I mean, I hear you, Matt. I hear you. Glee is certainly a show that is wacky, and it is like one of its biggest critiques is the lack of consistency and dropped storylines and crazy decisions in terms of like character motivation and some characters are here one week some characters are gone the next and some people like some things are just completely forgotten about and some things are just acted as if they never happened so i get it i get it it's certainly something that we shouldn't like if there's ever going to be a puppet episode it's of course it's going to be from glee of course it is right. so i understand it i just feel like for me personally i couldn't I just couldn't reconcile some of the shit in this episode. <laughs> well, let it be known that you were on the three until the devil on your shoulder, Mike Bloom, pulled oh, you yeah. closer and closer to the dark side. <laughs> so you had the three at one point. You weren't all the way there. I did. I did. But then I just kept thinking about it. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, you sleep with that four. That's a permanent four now. Well, <laughs> that's that. I don't know if there's a whole lot else uh, to uh, to break down there. Maybe we'll come back and revisit this episode in like six months from now and just see how we feel again. I'll look at it from your perspective. You look at it from uh, the, the the really loving perspective that I just exuded. <laughs> and uh, we'll see if we meet somewhere in the middle. But that's that. We, of course, still have to give out some gold stars. So uh, any thoughts from you mike on exactly where your gold star is gonna go as, i think yes you kind of hinted so as it. i said before unlike uh this this actually rings true matt that you probably know where i'm going with this one 
it's going to Sue Sylvester. Uh, she's kicking ass as principal. She has a very good storyline. And she's also one of the only characters this episode who is not an asshole or clinically insane. So I'm, I'm giving it to Sue here. This She was by far the most emotionally appealing character to me in this episode. And that was a bit surprising for me, considering that I think usually Sue is regarded as the more cartoonish, over-the-top person. But much like this episode, everything seems to be flip-flop. So I want to acknowledge how good of a character she was in this episode. Mm-hmm. All right. Aman, what do you got? The thirsty part of me just wants to give it to Jake for that performance and that <laughs> performance alone. Yeah, you know, this is a Sue episode, I think. This is definitely a Sue episode. So I'm going to give mine to Sue as well. Like, I just think it was nice to see this, like, it's always nice to see this vulnerability from Sue. And this is, like, an area of vulnerability that we haven't seen in the past from her. Like, I feel like in mm-hmm. in seasons past, she's been very, like, welcoming of the fact that she has a bit of a masculine energy. Like, she, like, she, like likes it. Like, that's one of her favorite things about herself. And this time it didn't, like this time it sort of got in her way and so she said she sort of had to deal with it and i liked her wrestling with that and i kind of wish that there was more of it throughout the season all right yeah the sue gold stars definitely make sense i think uh obviously a very good episode for her although i'm still a little mad at her uh for all of what she was doing to unique like two episodes ago and now just you know all of a sudden she like needs unique's help and unique's happy to give it to her i'm like oh come on unique you could have like let her like hang for a little bit longer but whatever is what it is um sue is now the permanent principal at mckinley high i refused to let this episode close out without blaine getting his gold star so oh blaine's gonna get mine My god <laughs> Blaine is, uh, Blaine said, let me take insanity and make it somewhat, enter- uh, so, make it entertaining, not somewhat, make it entertaining. Blaine is the reason that this episode exists in the first place with his character, uh, being the one who initially found the gas leak and made the puppets and the puppets that contributed to an episode that I just gave zero slushies. That was all Blaine and Blaine gets my gold star for this episode. Oh, so good. I wanted to also give it to Jake. I mean, the good news, Matt, is that when Blaine inevitably goes on his killing spree as a result of going insane from all the puppets and the gas leaks, you will be spared from his slaughtering. Oh, I would give Andrew Kunanen all the gold stars if we were talking about that show. So, I mean, that all lines up pretty well to me. Uh, but yeah, so I, like I said, I was gonna I was gonna give it to Jake as well for the same reasons as Amon. But I think uh, if if Blaine's not getting it from anybody, Matt else, has puppets. So Matt has puppets of all of us in his Long yeah. Island home in the basement. That he like Long Island home, you know, fiddles with every night like voodoo dolls. <laughs> And that's that's just that's just what it is. Yeah, my, my shoulder has been acting up, which makes me very fearful as to what Matt was doing with the puppet. Mm-hmm. Just you wait until uh, later today after you guys just crapped all over an episode that I gave zero oh, slushes no. to. So uh, I wouldn't be so uh, <laughs> rude as we uh, close out this episode. I had a pressure in my chest, but like all week too. I thought it was oh, the, cor- I thought it was the coronavirus, <laughs> and here I am, just now realizing that you probably have something, some huge book, just sitting on top of my puppet down there or something insane. It's only going to get worse in the next couple hours. Just you wait. But that's all we have here for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed the ride. Let us know, of course, what you think of this episode. Am I crazy? Are these guys crazy? Some of us has to. Some of one of us has to. We're be. all crazy. Um, sure maybe it is me. We're all crazy. Uh, this show is insane and crazy. And uh, that's why this episode got my zero. So that's all we have uh, for this episode. Mike, any final thoughts on this episode, on this season, on this era of the show before we close this episode out? This was so much fun. Again, don't take the star ratings as indicative of, of my thoughts about talking with this with you guys. It's one of my favorite things in the world to watch bad movies, bad episodes of television, and just break down like 
to quote another podcast, how did this get made? I loved breaking down each and every moment of this because it was incredibly nonsensical and a representation of how Glee like the worst that Glee can get in terms of, like you said, all the vices of like spurning certain cast lines, uh, you know, doing weird songs that are in the zeitgeist at the moment. So they have to embrace them going off the wall with concepts and then also bringing heart and drama in at the same time to just completely throw things off. It was so much fun getting to watch this and I look forward to the rest of the ride as well, you know, especially uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear uh, what you guys think of, you know, spoiler alert, the uh, the sort of soft reboot that they do starting in, I think, New New York is the name of the episode. And then going forward from there, honestly, might be one of the stronger runs in the series. Yes! Uh, I say this all the time. It's like some of the best glee that there is. Yes. I'm excited as well. Um, I'm on no new reviews today, but where can anybody find us on social media to let us know all of their crazy takes about this episode and uh, leave us some reviews and all that stuff? You can find us at Choir Room Pod on Twitter. You can follow us individually. I'm at Amon Adwin. Matt is at Matt Ligori. Mike, where can people find you? At a Mike Bloom type on Twitter and Instagram. Depending on when this is coming out, I'll be uh, arms deep in Big Brother coverage, doing the Big Brother B and B with Liana Boris, which has a similar insane energy. Basically, it's like week, <laughs> weeks, weekly installments of the puppet episode of Glee, uh, plus some some inter- exit interviews with the house guests themselves for Parade.com. Also covering Lost, uh, Top Chef, some Survivor, bunch of stuff under the sun uh, in television and movies on various podcasting platforms. Again, at a Mike Bloom type on Twitter is when I usually pump out all the, the random stuff I get to be doing. And guys, thank you so much for having me on again. I, I love what you guys are doing here. And I'm so happy that my third appearance was by far the most wacky and probably will be the most <laughs> wacky slash apparently the most critical. We'll see if uh, if I've set the new gold standard for uh, bad slushy ratings on an episode. Yes, and I, I didn't flag this up. I forgot. But uh, Mike, the first official three-time guest here in the choir room. Oh I know goodness. we will have more. But the first actual three-time guest, uh, season one, season three, season five. So Mike is all over the place here. And then, you know, coming in hot with this uh, biggest slushy rating that we have ever seen given out with four and a half. So Mike really making his mark here as uh, we start to get closer to the end of the series. So, yes, uh, thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure to have you. And uh, I'm on. That's all I got. All righty. Make sure that you're leaving us star ratings and reviews wherever you get your podcasts. We'll read them aloud on the show. And until next time, guys. See ya at the